This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com episode 38. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I am Sid. And this week we are talking about a very special series. A series that has been popular for a long time, made waves... We're talking about fairy tale. No, 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 we're not. No. We're not. But I did go see that fairy tale movie yesterday, and oh my god, that was such a waste of time. Why did I <laughs> want to go see it? What did you think of that movie, Wee Lord? I was binging through Death Note yesterday. I wasted two hours of my life on that piece of shit film instead of reading Death Note. I could have went to sleep at midnight instead of 3 a.m. <laughs> if I didn't waste my time on fucking Natsu getting fired up over bullshit friendship narrative shit. It, it was shit. Yeah, you, you can hear more about our rant about how terrible that movie was on our eventual Manga Maverick Sad Movies episode about it, but yeah, oh my god. Why do people like fairy tale? I, I, <laughs> but that movie encouraged me to finally finish the manga of fairy tale, which of course you poor soul. In, what? You poor soul. Yeah, well it was, it was also just lame. It's not even worth talking about because of how, like, boring the final, like, couple chapters are. Whew. Uh, you, you guys are making me feel very um, vindicated about my decision to stop shortly after the time skip. I yeah, stopped you- after, like, ten chapters. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This isn't a fairy tale podcast. Eventually, we'll probably do one, but, yeah, no. We're, we're going to be talking about a series that is actually good. We're talking about Death Note, which you, we Lord, have read for the first time. Oh yeah, I'm here. Hi. Yeah, Lord GTZ here. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, I live here, so... That's true. I'm pretty sure we invited him, too. Yeah, we invited him on because he has never read Dead Note before now. So when I told him that we were going to do this show, he was like, Okay, we own all the volumes. I'll read it and join you guys. And, yeah, that's cool, because we have someone who's never read Death Note on give his first impressions alongside our reread impressions. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, our impetus to go and reread Death Note was, of course, inspired by the upcoming release of the live-action film on Netflix, which will be out by the time we're posting this podcast. I'm sure, unless this comes out a day early or something. What exact date does that come out? Like Uh, August 25th. 25th? Yeah. Yeah, so so hopefully guaranteed it'll be up by that weekend. Yeah, because that's a Friday, so yeah. Mm-hmm. And we also have plans to record about the live-action movie when it's out on Netflix as an app movies episode, and that should come out whenever. Uh, ho- hopefully yeah. I can be on that episode as well, because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd very much like to talk about the movie as soon as I see it as well. Yeah. But, Sid, before we get on to anything about Death Note, we still have some news we need to cover. That's right. And actually, I want to let Wheelord start off talking about this first thing here, because it's about a series he is very familiar with, and he has read all of. Yeah, um, so yeah, Detective Conan, uh, recently, in the combined, uh, 37-38 issue of Weekly Shonen Sunday, was the first Shonen Sunday manga to publish 1,000 chapters! That is impressive. I didn't know Sunday didn't have a long runner who surpassed a thousand chapters before Conan. Yeah, I think like their longest series besides Conan is Major. Hmm. Major like started after though. Conan, so did it? I believe so. I think the original Major started a little bit before Conan, maybe. In any case, that's a pretty great milestone for Conan to break. There really aren't a whole lot of uh, 
weekly shonen titles that have surpassed a thousand chapters, honestly. Yeah. I mean, there's Kojikame for Jump, and then for Magazine, there's, of course, Hajime no Ippo. Yeah, I mean... So it is a very exclusive club. Yeah, I mean, One Piece will get there in, like, three years, but... Yep. (laughs) That's kind of it. Well, I guess there's there's Baki. Baki has exceeded a thousand, technically. Yeah, but But Baki's separate... Baki is shonen. It's a it's a weekly shonen champion. Okay. But yeah, but that that's separated into like separate series, like kind of like JoJo. So like it's never reached the number a thousand like through its regular count. It's just like the combined count is over a thousand chapters. Yeah, actually, speaking of JoJo, I, I kind of wonder how close JoJo is to a thousand chapters at this point. I mean, the problem with JoJo is that it switched to monthly chapters. Yeah. So, you know, if it was still running weekly, it'd probably have surpassed 1,000 chapters. But, like, I at mean... now, there were, like, 100 chapters of Steel Ball Run. There's, like, 50 chapters of JoJolian. So, it's, like, probably around 900-ish. Yeah, I mean, that JoJo's longer than... JoJo's longer than Ippo, but shorter than Baki. So it, it's it's around that thousands range if it was still a weekly series. Yeah, in terms of page count, it's like up there. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure once collectively JoJo reaches a thousand chapters, I'm sure there'll be some kind of like special promotions and campaign for that kind of thing down the road. Maybe if they're keeping track of the numbering, I'm yeah. not sure they are since they when the new parts start, they renumber it back from chapter one. So. Yeah, they haven't That's done a true. continuous numbering since. End of part five. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's true, I guess. Yeah, I don't think it's reached a thousand collectively yet, though, because... No. Because I think by the time they stopped doing numbering, it was only around 600. Yeah, when they stopped doing numbering, it was either around 650 or 750, I forget which. Yeah, so there's no way we're at a thousand yet. The Steel Ball Run was only 95 chapters, yeah. technically. And Jojo Lion's like 64 right now? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, in any case, De- Detective Conan being a thousand chapters long is, a, like you said, a huge milestone and is now a part of that exclusive club of series that, that'll probably never end, except Kochi Kame did end, so. Conan yeah, will end one day. It'll, it'll just be a very long time because Yama likes dragging out the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy. I-, I can't wait for a final arc that'll last 20 years. <laughs> well, moving on to a series that we have mentioned before, uh, a little bit of a follow-up on the Sankaria author's new series, Kirei ni Shite Mora Masukuka, or otherwise known in uh, the translated title, Will You Clean This For Me? That got, like, a uh, three-chapter short on the 14th issue of Square Enix's Young Gangan back on July 7th, but it has been now picked up for a full monthly series beginning with the 20th issue on October 6th. So if you enjoyed uh, that short three-chapter preview, now you can read an ongoing series based on that. But I guess uh, just to move on from here, an, an update on another series I believe we've talked about on the show before. The September issue of Square Enix's monthly Shonen Gangan magazine, actually by the time by the time people are listening to this, has published the final chapter of uh, Ne Ne Ne, which um, I believe had a simul publish. I think it the did, last yeah, time, it does. yeah. And I guess it ran for like a volume collectively, which will be, I, I guess, will be released on uh, August twenty sixth. But uh, yeah, that's, that's so weird. I wonder, wonder why it only ran for like a volume. I guess. Have have you guys read this at all? Like, I I forget. I forget exactly what the series is about. I think Maxi was reading it for a little bit. 
Yeah, I know Maxie was reading it and he enjoyed it. Yeah, he seemed uh, really into it. I think that this was only intended to be a short-term serialization to begin with. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if it was meant to be that long-running of a series. I was going to say, I, I was just, just kind of surprised to see this end so, so quickly. Yeah, because, I mean, we did announce it when it began on the show. So, like, it didn't feel that long ago when we talked about it. So. Not, not at all. Yeah, but you can go and check out the entire run from that on Comixology or wherever Yen Press uh, is selling it. And I'm sure they'll also publish the compiled volume uh, at some point as well, if you just want to wait for that. Mm-hmm. Might be cheaper, probably. I mean, but also moving on to a series whose beginning we did talk about on the show before. Wheeler, do you want to take this one? Uh, yeah, so... The Seven Deadly Sins spin-off manga about uh, Bon and Elaine is ending in September. I don't know too much about this uh, spin-off series, but I think it's uh, it's about uh, back when uh, Bon was trying to get the immortality powers from Elaine. Yeah. So it's kind of focusing on like their, the time they spent together. Yeah, it goes into more detail about you know how they met and their romance and stuff. Yeah, which is nice, because I really like that backstory from the series. Yeah, I mean, Bond is one of the best characters in that series, and, like, that's his story about Elaine is really tragic. Yeah, he's, like, the best character besides Escanor, because Escanor is amazing. My favorites are Bond and King, and, of course, they have a lot of history with each other. But Escanor is so badass. (laughs) Uh, Escanor (laughs) is pretty good. Yeah. But, yeah, I I think this uh, series in particular is currently licensed by Vertical, so Mm -hmm. I'm assuming they're going to release it all. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, Vertical released The Seven Scars Left Behind, which is a story about uh, Guilt Hunter and Margaret. Yeah, we own that one. We own we? that. I still yeah. have to read it. But yeah, I, I hope they release more of the novels and spin-offs of Seven Deadly Sins, because I enjoy that franchise. Yeah. But uh, something I also enjoy, which is going in a interesting new arc... So, The Legend of Koizumi is finally resuming after two years of a hiatus. It is already back in the September issue of Takeshobo's Kindai Mahjong magazine. And uh, the new arc of Legend of Koizumi is going to be about a famous girl who is going to save Japan from a crisis. Uh, and she is going to face the tyrant Trump from a certain northern country. <laughs> I wonder which country we're talking about. I wonder who this of... Trump guy is. Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard of him. I just, I love the, <laughs> I love the expression of Trump in this uh, oh, promo God. image. It's, it seems great. <laughs> Legend of Koizumi is an incredibly fun, over-the-top ma- manga. It's a political satire about like politicians battling each other with Mahjong for high-stakes games to settle diplomacy issues. In, like, probably the most famous arc, the longest... I think it's also the longest arc. Like, they were fu- they were fighting, like, Hitler, who who uh, resurrected and became the legendary Super Aryan, <laughs> which literally he, he became a Super Saiyan. Oh, God. <laughs> that, was, that was insane. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this series is great. I wish uh, someone brought it over here uh, and licensed it. But maybe it's a little too politically charged and extreme <laughs> maybe. Uh, for that. But uh, it, a great series. I'm really looking forward to this new arc. Yeah, I remember like uh, back when uh, Jason Thompson used to do a House of a Thousand Manga, I think he mentioned Legend of Koizumi in one of his articles. Yeah, uh, the previous arc was kind of like a slower one because it didn't have to do anything with Koizumi. It was about new characters. And I think this new arc is also just being about this new girl instead of 
Koizumi. I don't know what happened to when Koizumi is going to return or anything, but the new protagonist character design looks great, and she's going to be uh, playing Trumpet the Jog. So uh, I'm on board with that. Honestly, I didn't even know this series was still running, and I'm so glad to hear that it is because I've seen because I've seen it around for years, and I'd always been aware of it. And I'm just I'm just glad to see it's still running because I I, yeah. I need to I need to get on this at some point. Yeah, same. But uh, moving on from that, so the official website of Grand Jump Magazine uh, from Shueisha apparently has announced that um, Yoshihiro Togashi, who you may know uh, as the author of such indie titles as Yu Yu Hakusho and Hunter Hunter, will be creating a new short two-chapter kind of one-shot manga titled Akuten Wars, uh, roughly translated to Bad Weather Wars in Grand Jump Premium. Uh, in the September issue of that on August 23rd. And uh, it looks like Togashi isn't illustrating himself. He's providing the story, but uh, Hachi Mizuno uh, will be providing the art for these two chapters, which, as far as I can tell, hasn't really done much of anything, if at all. I couldn't really find any of this artist's works at all. So I'm assuming this person is probably a rookie artist but uh yeah togashi's doing new work which is really interesting yeah it's interesting this this is coming on top of him working on hunter hunter but i'm assuming this has been a project that they've been working on for a while too yeah like if you look at the full like art image of this you can notice that the kid's holding a card and you remember in the last Uh in like one of the older interviews how togashi mentioned that he wanted to make a manga about card games kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh. this seems to be what he was talking about. Oh, oh, he found a way to do it without having to end Hunter Hunter first. Yeah. Cool. I'm looking forward to this. Hopefully that we get it in the Wiz Jump. Just to go over some other things that are going to be published in this issue of Grand Jump. It's going to be like a lot of continuations of other uh, works from Jump authors. Uh, so the Parasite Doctor and Korshia-san creator Haruki is drawing a new one-shot called Please Look at My Lewd Resume, which... That seems to be an etchy thing. Masanori Morita of Rokunashi Blues fame is publishing a new chapter of his gag manga spinoff, Rokunashi Brooch. Shinji Haramatsu is drawing a new chapter of Black Angels. Makoto Niwano is drawing a new chapter of his pro wrestling comedy manga, Momotaro. Masaya Tokuhiro is drawing a new chapter of Mokori Hanabe. And the magazine is also reprinting chapters of Kinnikuman and Captain Tsubasa. So it seems hmm. like they're pulling out all, all the stops and getting a lot of uh, their authors to, you know, come back to make new content for, you know, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Jump, which is pretty cool. Among those authors is, of course, Mitsutoshi Shimabukuro. In the uh, 18th issue of Grand Jump, they announced that Shimabukuro is going to publish two new one-shots called GG 100% or old man 100% and halftime in the 19th issue, which is going to go on sale on September 6th. The announcement states that Shimabuku is going to hit readers with a gem of a gag. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Shimabuku is returning to his comedy roots and going to continue on with that and draw some one-shots for a while, and I think it's pretty cool. You know what I'm kind of hoping for? I'm I'm kind of hoping that GG 100% will maybe be his like take on Strawberry 100%. <laughs> Parody on Strawberry 100%, but oh, with God. old men. Yeah, that'd be fun. That sounds like something he would draw. Um, so I'm 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 hoping one of these gets picked up for um for the Vis Jump. 
Yeah, that'd be nice. Moving on from jump-related news, and just to close off our serialization news, Kaito Shonen Joker is going to be getting a new continuation called Kaito Shonen Jokers, this following off of the end of the original Kaito Joker, which ended uh, just in July 15th in Koro Comics magazine. The compiled uh, final volume of that, the 26th round, is going to come out on September 15th, but already a new series is uh, going to take its place in the franchise. So it's doing pretty well. Yokai Watch is also getting a new uh, manga based on the fourth Yokai Watch film called Yokai Watch Shadow Side, The Return of the Oni King. That is going to also come some point. I don't know actually when that's going to debut in the Koro Koro comics, but probably around the time of the film, since the film is coming out on December 16th. Hmm. The key visual sounds a very realistic looking Jibanyan, which is very interesting. Kind of creepy, honestly. Mm, but I guess we can uh, move on to some licensing news. And uh, our first piece of news comes from uh, Yen Press, who will be simul-publishing a manga called The Witch's House, which is apparently illustrated by Chibi Vampire, a.k.a. Karin creator uh, Yuna Kagesaki. Actually, by the time this is out, it'll already be simul-published, and the first two chapters will be available. It looks like, from what I can see, this particular series is a, um, I don't want to say a spin-off, but... Uh, it's an adaptation of a novel called The Witch's House, The Diary of Ellen. That was a prequel itself to the original The Witch's House horror puzzle game. That sounds kind of neat. I don't know anything about the game personally myself, but yeah, I wouldn't mind checking this out. This is interesting. It looks more like a horror kind of vibe than the Chibi Vampire series, which was more of a comedy romance title. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see you and I guess I could go in a more horror direction. It, yeah, Chibi Vampire did not look this uh, this terrifying, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Katantra Comics also has some digital releases that they have on the docket. And also, these will be out by the time you're listening to this, and you can get them off Comicsology or wherever Kodansha is selling them. But these titles are Watari Saku's Cosplay Animal and Mari Yoshino's Beauty Bunny. Cosplay Animal is about a 19-year-old girl who loves cosplay, but she can't share her hobby with anyone. But then she meets a person she knows in real life on a dating site, and he thinks that she's in high school, but he's younger than her. And I guess she's worried about being in a relationship while hiding her cosplay secret. Yeah, I don't know about this one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Beauty Bunny is about a 17-year-old high school student who doesn't have any interest in makeup. But then she gets called ugly by her hot classmate, Iyori Yashima, who is a rich boy who owns a cosmetic shop and uh, can do makeup like a pro, and one day he transforms her by doing her makeup, and could she start to develop an interest in cosmetics? This is a makeup Cinderella love story from the creator of Peach Heaven. And I don't know, the, <laughs> the relationships described in both of these series do not sound appealing to me. They, they sound like the guys are like kind of assholes, or like the girls are not secure about their own hobbies and personalities. I, I don't know. I, I'm not 
into these kind of romance titles. Uh, but Beauty Bunny sounds like it could be really mean-spirited, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the guy calls her ugly. Like, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a great foundation for a romance, you know. And Cosplay Animal just sounds kind of weird, honestly. I don't understand why she wants to hide cosplay from this guy. I don't understand why, you know, as soon as she finds out, oh, this kid's in high school, well, I guess I better just put the kibosh on that. You know, instead she's like, well, no, he might be kind of cute. I don't know. I guess I'll go see him. Like It's like CrossCat where it's <laughs> bad to not be a normie. <laughs> yeah. You just oh. read Complex Age instead. That's a good manga about cosplay and trying to, you know, embrace the hobby, but also, you know, fearing the stigma of the hobby. So that That's a good manga. I don't know about this one, though. Yeah, I, I don't usually like to judge things by their cover, but I mean, like, n neither of these series really sound that interesting to me, honestly. Yeah, unfortunately. But good to see Kananja putting more uh, shoujo slash jose titles uh, up for on digital, just liking them in general. Yeah, actually, uh, speaking of more shoujo titles, uh, Viz actually announced at Otakon recently that they have licensed two new series, the first being Takane and Hana, from Yuki Shiwasu, which is about a girl who stands in for her older sister, who uh, she backs out of an arranged marriage meeting with an, an heir to a wealthy major business, which sounds like it result in all kinds of shenanigans, I'm sure. I've heard really good things about this one because I've heard the heroine is actually really, you know, funny and assertive and takes no shit from the guy. And they have a good, like, dynamic going good comedic relationship. I've heard a lot of people compare it to, like, Ranma one-half in the sense of, like, the relationship between Dakane and Hana is kind of like Rama and Akane in terms of the back and forth. Yeah, like, I think when Viz even, like, announced her, they were like, if you like Rama, you're gonna enjoy this. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so I'm interested in checking this one out. Yeah, at the very least, this, this sounds like it could... I'm, I, I know I kind of gave it a jab earlier, but this at least sounds like something that could... um that could turn out to be funny and cute if you do it right. And then the other title that Viz announced was uh, The Young Master's Revenge, which, uh, oh boy. So apparently this series is about a, a young boy uh, who has his pride torn to shreds by another girl who comes from a wealthy background and is basically always getting him in the trouble. And now, years later, after his father's successful clothing business has made him the heir to a fortune, he searches out this girl to enact a dastardly plan, and that he'll get his revenge by making her fall in love with him. And God, I hate this premise. This already. is literally Masamune Kun's revenge. I'm, gl uh, I'm glad I wasn't the only one who thought of that, because, man, I really... I don't like the idea for this premise at all. It just sounds so... Again, mean-spirited, and I, I just... I can't get behind it. Yeah, at least in Masamune Kun's revenge, like, the point is that they're all assholes or whatever. Uh, yeah, but... No, so I'm probably not going to be reading this title in particular. But uh, Takani and, and Hana, like, from, from what you guys were telling me, it actually sounds pretty cute, so... Yeah. Mm, sounds good. Uh, also worth pointing out is that uh, Wiz is going to be putting out the Ruby manga in print. They're going to do that at some point next year, I guess. <laughs> so, but, yeah. I mean, you... I mean, I mean, hey, we we all we all remember how excited Sid was for uh, for the Ruby manga and how much it delivered on all fronts. I mean, at the very least, it instigated him to check out Ruby. Yeah, at the very least, 
it being added to Jump did make me finally check out Ruby, realize that it is actually good, and all the people who were telling me that it was bad were wrong, <laughs> and then now I enjoy it. I'm glad I was able to get it's it. It's like Monogatari. We yeah. were wrong. <laughs> we were wrong. <laughs> but, so, but, but in that sense, that only makes me come to the conclusion that, like, that, that that's basically the reason that this manga adaptation of Ruby exists is, oh, we got to get more people into this thing. All it's just, basically, it's a manga advertisement. Like, I wouldn't I think get into Ruby if I just read the manga. If I just waited to read the manga, I would not have ever decided to check out Ruby because the manga does not the make manga you is a interested in the world of Ruby. It barely explains anything. It doesn't really get you enough time to know the characters or know what's going on or the story. Like, it assumes you know the premise and the characters already. So, but it doesn't do anything to add on to the story. It just retells the trailers, which did not have complex stories. They did not really have anything that added to the overall story. They were just supposed to be action set pieces to show off how cool the action animation of the show was going to be. And then the story that it ends with is this, like, completely filler story, which I don't understand what the point of was. It's supposed to sort of set up, like, Torchwick, like, going underground in season two. But that it was the doesn't intent, really it did do a that really well. bad job. Yeah, it, it doesn't do it well. No, so it was, it's completely pointless. I'm glad I decided to check out the series first before reading the manga, because I have read the manga first. I would never have checked out the series. So I would be like, no, this, oh, ser- this, yeah, is, this is crap. I don't care about this at all. Go, go watch Ruby. Don't read that shitty manga. <laughs> uh, yeah, but skip to season two. Season one is actually kind of not great. Unless you can bear through season two, because season two, yeah, is kind of boring. What? I mean, I mean, season one is kind of boring. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Season season two is great, and so is season three. Yeah, looking forward to season five. Season five is gonna be lit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> season four was basically a bunch of setup for the season. So. Yeah, so better pay off. Yeah. You better not fuck me <laughs> like Voltron season three. Oh God, Voltron season three! Don't get me started. Uh, that final episode we, we already did nothing wrong, Sid. <laughs> We already recorded a podcast about Voltron Yeah, season which three. is going to come up for like 10 months. I'll try to get it out before Voltron Season 4. Anyway, let's move on to more licensing <laughs> discussion. Cross Infinite World licensed a uh, new series called Obsessions of an Atomi Gamer, a light novel that they're going to debut in early 2018 digitally. The series is about a girl who's hooked on an unbeatable music team to Otome game. And spends all of her high school days learning the wonders of music, obsessively trying to claim the romance ending with the 2D character who stole her broken art. And then uh, she gets distracted by a billboard for the game's remake and falls down a manhole and plunges to her death. And then becomes reincarnated in a world bearing similarities to the Otome game. Except now she's a 7 year old. And she has to walk the path of a pianist to embrace this musical world to its fullest. But then she keeps triggering events and getting into trouble and uh, involved with troublesome yet handsome characters. So this is a kind of Isekai series with a music team with a female protagonist. Now the most odd thing to me is that is the fact that she becomes seven years old. Which, I don't know how old the guys are going to be, but I can imagine there could be some uncomfortable things. Yeah. Well, maybe she starts out as a seven-year-old and maybe she ends up growing or something. I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, are we going to have like a 10-year time skip at the beginning of the series? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, that's coming in early 2018. And then Sekai Project has licensed the House and Fata Morgana manga, which adapts a visual novel by the same name by Manga Gamer. They're going to put out the first volume of that digitally in either late October or early November of this year. And the second volume is going to come out in February 2018. The story is about everyone takes residence inside a house and everyone who does will inevitably fall into misfortune and you wake up in an old mansion, the master of the house is in front of you as well as a maid with jade color eyes. You have no memories, you have nothing but the will to survive and the maid shows you many plays and through those plays, that is where you find traces of you, basically, your memories. So it seems like kind of a psychological series about trying to figure out lost memories in this, like, house where everyone falls into misfortune. Yeah, that does it with our uh, licensing news. All right. Uh, we can move on to a bit of industry news then. Talking about some um, some Shonen Jump sales here. So uh, we mentioned it probably an episode or two ago that uh, Hiroyuki Nakano is now the new editor-in-chief of Weekly Shonen Jump magazine, and that he was basically on a live stream a couple weeks back and was talking about, uh, like, the overall sales of Jump. And uh, he had mentioned that, basically, Weekly Shonen Jump's print uh, magazine sales are decreasing, which, that's not a surprise. We've talked about that on the show uh, before as well. Um, sales of the digital version of the magazine have actually been increasing, apparently, by just as much. So, essentially, what Nakano says near the end is that, basically, like, the total sales of Weekly Shonen Jump, uh, overall, have just been increasing. But, uh, he, uh, Nakano also says that, uh, he has, he still has a fondness for print, and that he still wants, he still wants to hopefully increase the magazine's print sales. I thought this was kind of interesting. I, di- I didn't really understand the wording of um, some of the articles around this at first. I couldn't wrap my mind around print sales are decreasing, digital sales are increasing, which means, oh, well, overall sales are increasing. And I, I didn't understand that at first because of the wording of some articles. But uh, re- reading the article again, it makes makes sense to me. Yeah, this is going to show that all those people who are doomsaying, seeing that Jump is... No, in a decline, just looking at the print sales are missing the bigger picture. Because digital sales are making up for the decline in print sales. And because digital sales are more than the print sales are declining, overall sales are high and they're growing. Yeah. So the magazine's in a good place right now. I mean, we've we've been seeing this with uh, Weekly Shonen Sunday and Weekly Shonen Magazine already. Where they sell really well digitally, but their print sales are pretty low at this point. I mean, print is just a dying medium, and especially yeah. for these manga magazines, especially with the way they're printed in Japan on, like, terrible quality paper. Yeah. You know, yeah. it makes sense why people would opt for the digital more. Because not only are those magazines thick, they're also just not the best quality. But if you're reading it digitally, then you're getting it in a much better quality, and it's not taking up space around your house. You don't have to, like, throw them out. Yeah, like, the whole mentality with these magazines in Japan is that you're supposed to throw them out. Yeah. But if you buy them digitally, you can keep them for, like, ever. And it's not really, like, taking up space or anything. It's just kind of there on the cloud. So it makes total sense why the print sales for the magazines are decreasing. But overall, they're still in pretty good places. Jump 
in particular is a pretty good place right now. Of like the big three weekly shonen magazines, I'd say Jump is probably doing the best. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry about Shonen Jump. Uh, didn't have all the facts, Super High Pack Wolf. Just didn't have all the facts. Yes, Salmon is was one of the most successful series of Jump at the time. That's why it ended uh, only a few weeks after yeah. the video came out. <laughs> but you also forgot about Kimetsuro Yaiba. Yeah, let's not talk about that. It's old news at this point. Let's talk about something that I think will very much interest you, Lord, and that's the reception of the JoJo's Bazaar Adventure of Diamonds Unbreakable live action film directed by Takashi Miike. We knew that they had plans to do like a trilogy of these films, but the reception of the first film so far in the box office in Japan is just not great. It's actually very mediocre. And a lot of critics and insiders are saying because of the poor performance, they might not be able to make a major film franchise, at least not at this time. So that's like very disheartening to see. Because, of course, it'd be cool if, like, you got a franchise, got more sequels. People are mixed on, like, the actual quality of the film. Some people don't like it, but other people say that they think it was a very good adaptation. The film plays up, like, the horror vibe of the series more so than the comedy vibe. So that is a point of contention for a lot of people. I don't know, really, how this is going to turn out, because... The box office numbers are not very good for, you know, what it should be. They might not make sequels to this. But I would like to see the film. So I hope, like, we still get it over here. Like, someone yeah. decides to license it. But it might be all we get for JoJo live action for a while. Who's supposed to be the main villain of this film? Like, is it just Akira Toishi, or...? Uh, no, I don't think Akira Toishi is the villain. I think it's Angelo. Oh, they just made Angelo the villain? Yeah, they just made Angelo the villain and expanded upon the Nijima Brothers' roles. Huh. Hmm. I, I was actually really looking forward to this, uh, to this, to seeing this movie, because from, from all the trailers and a lot of the, uh, promotional material, it, it actually didn't look terrible, and I actually wasn't, like, I wasn't, like, cringing at the CG effects. I actually thought those looked pretty well handled. Yeah, yeah, they put up the first 13 minutes of the film on Warner Brothers Japan's official YouTube account, and there is a scene showing them use the sands, uh, Josuke and Jotaro fighting, and yeah, the CG looks about as well as you'd expect, and it doesn't look bad, it looks pretty okay. I think the filmmaking, like just the the way things are shot and the color tone, it, you know, sells how the... Uh, CG stands looks so I think the filmmaking is overall pretty fine but I don't know it's just I guess some people in Japan were completely against the idea of Jojo live action and that's why I didn't go see the movie or competition for the film by other live action films has just buried it like it opened the same weekend as the Tokyo Gold film oh yeah that that's more successful the Kintama film is still running and that had great reception. That's been dominating as far as I could tell. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it just came out at a bad time, maybe. The market's oversaturated right now and just this fell off. Part of me is wondering if they had instead like maybe adapted part three if it would have done better. Because like, I get why they went with part four because that was the most recent thing that David Productions adapted so it still has buzz. But with your casual Japanese film goer, would they really be interested in Diamonds Unbreakable? It's like the second most popular part, so... Well, that's part five. 
Either way, it's JoJo's. So you'd think that there'd be some audience for it. It makes me kind of sad that this didn't do well, especially when it, the film looked like it had all of the right ingredients to be successful. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that, the, that they got somebody like Mikkei to direct this movie. Like, I haven't seen any of his movies, but from what I had researched about the director and, you know, a lot of his works, he, he seemed like the perfect guy to bring this kind of series to life. Yeah, he's a great action director, but maybe his sensibilities are just too dark and people are looking for something a little more lighthearted. I'm not really sure. I mean, because, yeah, like, uh, the villain of Part 4 is a, is a serial killer who collects women's hands, but I mean, like, Part 4 is still pretty light in tone yeah. throughout most of it. I wouldn't be surprised if that, I guess, if the move to make this live-action movie a, a, a darker kind of thing probably is probably maybe what turns off probably a lot of the hardcore fans, probably. Maybe they should have definitely tried to go a bit more lighthearted. Because, yeah, part, part four is not really dark. It's It has its very violent moments, but it's never, like, trying to feel, like, horrifying, I feel. Yeah. Well, in either case, we have to wait and see the movie for ourselves to really judge it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's just a shame that it is not doing as well as, you know, we would have hoped. And they might not make sequels. Because... I was more interested in, you know, what they do with Yoshikaka Kira, and yeah. like especially later stuff. Maybe that's also just a reason why it wasn't exciting to people. I mean, Angelo is the main villain. Do people really care about Angelo? He, I mean, he was out of the way in the first, in the second episode. Yeah. So. Like, if you're going to go with the villain, it kind of would make more sense to go with either Akira Toishi for the first film, or just have all three films be about Kira. Yeah, they probably should have either just gone with Akira or gone with Kira. Like, what, what, when they initially announced live-action films, I was assuming they were going to have, like, the first villain be Akira Toishi, and then have two films focused on Kira. Yeah. I mean, a- Angelo's uh, stand power was um, pretty formidable, from what I remember. He was the he was the water stand guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was. I mean, yeah, that fight was good. It's just that as a, you know, villain, he would not be up there as, like, one of the better JoJo villains. Yeah. Oh, no. Really, and he was, like, out of the way in the manga in, like, five chapters. Yeah, pretty much. In the anime, it's two episodes, so... Like, you know. compare, compare to, like, even a smaller, like, sub like Akira, like, Akira actually has a fan base. Yeah. Angelo <laughs> doesn't really have a fan base. <laughs> they include Akira Toshi in the fighting games. They don't yeah. include Angelo in the fighting games. And Akira Toshi does not do much. He, he does not do anything after, like, they fight him that one time. Yeah. So, but he's still popular. But he's still popular. <laughs> I, I totally agree that Angela as a villain is pretty lacking, and they probably shouldn't have made him the main villain of this first movie. But I still can't imagine that the actual fight between him and um, Josuke and Jotaro. Like, I, I imagine that fight is at least handled well in the movies, and I'd like to see how that looks. I'm sure at least that fight is exciting to watch. But yeah, I do agree that making him the main villain. It's just kind of like, uh, okay, like, what do we do with this guy? But speaking of live-action films, let's move the conversation over to Netflix and about a film critic's response to Netflix's rise in Japan. Tomohiro Machiyama, who is a writer and film critic, he was a scriptwriter for the live-action Attack on Titan films, recently um, discussed that he thinks that Netflix's growing involvement is an overall positive thing because... There's an amazing overseas value of Japanese anime, and Netflix is such a big market, and they have like a lot of finances they can invest in the industry. He's saying that 
Japanese film directors and anime producers like make their works with more freedom and with Netflix, Japan's anime industry will change and also their film industry will change. So it'll cause a huge paradigm shift in the Japanese entertainment industry. So for a lot of people in the Japanese entertainment industry making anime and films, you know, they are not paid well. They are basically in the poverty line, but like now they're getting more budget and it's like saying that now, yeah, it's okay to make it no matter how much money it takes. You know, it's it's okay to put in a, enough money, you know, to pay these people well to do everything you need to do to make this film. So that's like what the Netflix model is going to do for the you know Japanese entertainment industry. It's going to be like make them change like cost cutting, underpaying aspects. And I mean, the hopeful thing is that there'll be more fair pay, but otherwise there'll be more money just put into the industry in general. I don't know. I, I know Netflix has been a big, like, along with Anime Strike, has been a big, like, topic of discussion within the anime community. But I mean, like, I personally feel like Netflix, I think, overall will be a good thing for the industry, considering, yeah, like Sid said, that I feel like working through Netflix will just give more money back to the people actually creating this stuff. Mm-hmm. And will also give them more freedom to do what they want, too, because obviously on Netflix, you... Uh, as far as the content you want to create, you don't have as many restrictions like you would producing something for television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Just from what we saw like a few weeks back, Netflix is backing a bunch of anime projects. So they're clearly investing in this market, and they, they're interested in like pretty much pushing it forward. Yeah, I mean, the biggest concern is whether the Japanese media industry rejects this change, rejects the invasion of Netflix. As Machia comments, like, he does think that a full-blown war with Netflix might start in the media world in Japan. There's, like, some stigma, there's some, like, misapprehension with Netflix and, like, a refusal to change the way the industry is now. And worst-case scenario, Japan might go the way of France and, like, essentially block Netflix from the country. So hopefully that doesn't happen, because I do think Netflix better place the people who make their shows. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a definitely a more positive place. I mean, Masaki Yuasai made comments about how Netflix was giving them a lot of creative freedom and, like, how great it was to work with them on the project. Also, how great it was to work with, like, the Adventure Time team when he did that episode of Adventure Time way back when. Like, yeah. There's just more creative freedom. There's also just better working visions and pay and stuff. So, and Netflix can lead to the production of some great properties. So, their involvement in the industry is an overall good thing. And hopefully, it does make the industry in Japan, like, think about changing its, like, industry practices. Yeah, for sure. I feel like this apprehension towards change in the anime industry, I feel like Japan kind of went through the same thing with um, kind of making the move from taking manga to the forefront of digital. As far as I could tell, I remember hearing some rumblings from people who work in the industry. I remember hearing a lot of a lot of talk in general about how uh, some people uh, in the manga industry in particular were kind of apprehensive about uh, moving their work to, to a digital medium. Like, just for example, the author of uh, Hajime no Ippo came out a little while ago and was openly against having a series be available digitally. So I feel like I feel like in general the Japanese from what I could tell just seem to be they don't necessarily like change too much. Yeah. 
But as we know from the Netflix live-action film, the anime industry has to contend with a global market. Anime is popular worldwide, and there are a lot of new considerations evolved in terms of distributing anime to foreign markets that they have to keep in mind, and they can't avoid the presence of foreign industries and companies like Netflix becoming a part of the industry. Mm -hmm. So that will fundamentally change how anime starts to get made. But on that note, speaking of Death Note, the live-action film, let's talk about Death Note, the manga. Let's begin our discussion of Death Note. What would you do if you had the power to change the world? Would you sell your soul for that power? Would you kill for that power? Would you use that power for your own personal gain? Would you use that power to help others? If you had the power to say kill people, could you kill with a clean conscience? Or does the very act of killing sour your own soul? Would you have to give up on your own humanity and fall into the darkness? Fall from the light? The story of Death Note is about a boy. A young man who has to deal with these questions of what is right. Of whether he can continue going on his path to create a perfect world. Whether he must take upon the burden of damaging his own purity, his own soul, defiling it with the blood of others. This is the story of a young man and a book from another world. The greatest murder weapon in history. The Death Note. And we are going to talk about Death Note. Takashi Obata and Sugumi Oba's <laughs> seminal classic 2003 manga series that has become uh, one of the biggest franchises in the anime manga sphere and certainly one of the most influential since its debut only 14 years ago. All, all the way back in 2003. Yes, and it spawned a Netflix live-action Death Note film. It spawned numerous previous Japanese live-action films, as well as a Korean drama, and, of course, a incredibly popular anime series directed by Tetsuro Araki. It's a phenomenon, to say the least. The idea of Death Note is just so compelling. What would you do if you had the power to kill people with anonymity? And... Would you use that power to get rid of the evil people in the world? But in doing that, would you yourself become evil? The series contends with the questions of what is justice? What is right and what is wrong? And follows the downfall of its villain protagonist, like Yagami, 
from when he starts out as an idealist who genuinely believes that in changing the world for the better to how, what he becomes by the end of the series. An embodiment of just narcissistic, egocentrical evil. I guess we could we could talk about real quick how um, how we all kind of got into Death Note. I guess um, I guess Sid, uh, do you want to start real quick? My story is honestly the shortest because it is there's nothing really that special about how I got into Death Note. It is not one of those series that was like very formative in my development as an anime manga fan. Because it's not one of the first series I ever read or anything. I only got into Dead Note. It was probably around 2010 or something. I'm not sure. But, I mean, I just got into it because I heard that people really liked it. I heard it was a popular thing. And I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And I checked it out. I read the manga. I enjoyed it. I watched the anime. I enjoyed it. And that was basically all there was to the story. I didn't really have anything special special uh, with Death Note. There was never really any like big personal connection I ever formed with the series based around communities, friendships, or anything. It's that series that has always been around. It's always been insanely popular in popular consciousness. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's just something that you accept in the current anime manga landscape. It's just one of those big series that is essential to understanding anime fandom and is also one of those few series that has like a mainstream appeal so even people outside of the anime sphere may know about it or at least may know of the concept about it and have seen imagery from it but that note just for me is a series that i enjoy i just enjoy it and i do think that like Jigami is one of the best uh anime manga villains that there is so that is like the one thing i will take away from that is like something that really stood out to me from the series way back when I first read it. But outside of that, I just don't have anything else really notable to add about my experiences with Death Note. Hmm. Um, I think I'm probably in the same boat where, um, I think I got into Death Note around that same time. Actually, I was, um, Oh God, I want to say I was, I was still a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Around like 2010, 2009, Somewhere around there, that's where. Uh, basically, Death Note was a uh, was a series, obviously that was offered at my high school library, amongst uh, other very popular titles at the time. Um, it was just one of those things where, like, I had seen it around a couple of years at that point, and um, you know, I, I'd seen it around and I'd heard so many people talk about it, and I kind of decided just to read it on a whim. I think, um, you know, I. I it was one of those things I I read, you know, during school and whatnot, just to kind of pass the time, and I just I ended up getting so into it. Um, and uh, for a while, I considered it one of probably one of my favorite manga of all time. Uh, but nowadays, I don't I don't necessarily consider it one of my favorites anymore, just because I, I've read other series since then that I just love so much more. But you know, Death Death Note still holds a special place in my heart uh, because I. You know, back when I first read it, I was still technically pretty early on in my um, in my manga fandom, and uh, Death Note was just one of those things that um, during, I guess, my personal renaissance of manga back when I was reading stuff like this and I Shield Twenty One and Slam Dunk and all these different series that I had just gotten into um, stuff stuff that 
I don't, well, I guess I, I was going to say stuff that isn't as popular, but I guess Death Note is kind of the outlier in that, because it is, uh, like Sid said, it has a lot of, it, it's, it's one of the few series that still really has a lot of mainstream appeal, um, and is still very well known and beloved. Um, though I would also say that I think, uh, it, it is still sort of, a, uh, still sort of a phenomenon, but, uh, God, back then, like years ago, it was, it was huge. Like it was everywhere. Um, and I knew so many people who were really into it and really loved it. And yeah, um, I feel like we're we're probably past that point of, of its phenomenon. But it's still very, like I said, very well known and beloved uh, by a lot of people. Obviously, um, it's, it's getting a Netflix live action movie. So obviously, a, a lot of people are still very interested in it. Yeah, again, this is, like, one of the cornerstone, like, series in anime manga fandom that, like, people get into anime strew. And its popularity is evergreen. It's enduring. Like, there wouldn't be so many, like, panels at, like, local anime conventions about Death Note where people dress up as characters from the series oh, and answer God, questions. Oh, all the Death Note panels. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's... An incredibly popular series still. There's just a lot of elements about it that just give it a timeless appeal, even though the story, like, in terms of when it's set, is dated by this point, since it spans, like, from 2004 through 2010, basically. Yeah. But just the core uh, ideas of the story, the characters, all of that is just still you know, very resonant. It doesn't feel dated. And yeah. of course, it's just a very unique series t in terms of its tone. Because while it is a shonen series, and it definitely takes the idea of like a battle manga without battles necessarily, like it still has kind of like over the top, like speeches and moments of like uh, enthusiasm where characters speak about their ideals you know, uh, the most iconic moment I think about that is the second chapter, when the chapter ends with Light and Elf both exclaim at the same time, I am justice! You know, it still has, like, shonen moments like that, but it is a very dark story in terms of its subject matter, at the very least. And it does take itself a little more seriously, a little more adult than some of its contemporaries at the time you know, that were very popular, especially in the shonen field. Like, if you look at, like, other shonen jump series that were coming out at the same time, there was nothing else like Dead Note. And in the years since, it has inspired imitators, but even so, Dead, there is an appeal about Dead Note, just that has to do with its premise alone, that can never be recaptured. It is a lightning-in-the-bottle kind of series. For me, it's never been necessarily one of my top most favorite series i don't think again i don't think i really ever really firmed a personal connection to it but i do think it is an incredibly well-written series so there was a time where i would pro i had put it in like my top 20 at the very least because it is really well done yeah i was i was uh just to step back here a bit i also wanted to mention yeah it, the, part of the reason i think death note blew up in popularity so much is because yeah at the time you know it still has its um uh, still has its uh, shonen qualities to it here and there, but overall, like it, D Death Note made it so big because you know there really wasn't anything like it in Jump at the time, and in a lot of aspects, I think is still um, is still very unlike Jump um, in a lot of ways. Um, honestly, th there were a few times rereading Death Note 
where, where I really felt like, you know, this could make for a great, like, seinen tor- uh, type of series. Like, there are, I, there are a lot of times where I feel like, you know, again, it still has its shonen qualities, but overall, I don't, I feel like it's, it is somewhat different from, um, from a lot of shonen manga in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the whole shonen seinen debate about Dead Note really, you know, irritates me because honestly, there isn't that much different between shonen and seinen in terms of what you can do aside from the fact you can get away with more graphic content in seinen manga. And, and nudity. Like, you can still <laughs> write a seinen manga with like a very immature mentality and you can write a shonen That's manga true. with a very mature mentality so that whole divide has always irritated me i hated yeah. when there were people who'd insist that oh no dead note is a seinen even though it ran in weekly shonen jump just because the subject matter was a little more mature than the likes of what one piece or naruto and I even don't know. even then like a lot of the sexual and violence content comes down to the magazines published and yeah not even the demographic like we can see a drastic difference in violence and sexual content, even between Weekly Shonen Jump and Jump Square. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, really, that whole debate yeah. with Dead Note is pretty meaningless to me. Like, Dead Note is just a well-written story that has mature teams and has, you know, interesting things to think about. It has... It's also refreshing because it is about adult characters. In a space in anime and manga where... Every, where like, most series now are about teenagers. Even, you know, series aimed towards adults are about teenagers. And Dead Note is about adults. Like, the main characters, they're all adults. Like is starts out the series as a young adult, but he is an adult. And that's yeah. what makes the series also refreshing, is that, you know, it's about adults. It's about police officers trying to solve the great murder case... And it's a battle of wits. It's not about, like, over-the-top fighting. It's just a police procedural that has interesting twists and turns. But no, I, I, I do kind of agree that uh, that 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 whole debate between what, what kind of, like, uh, what kind of, whether it's seen or shonen, yeah, it, it does seem kind of silly. But I still, I still, can't, I still can't help but feel that, um, I don't know, it, it makes me... Some sometimes it really kind of surprises me, like you know, um, it, like regardless of like what Jump's demographic is, that Jump is still able to get away with a lot of st- stuff in certain series. Like uh, Death Note actually was in the same serialization round as Gintama back at the mm. time, yeah, uh, which I also find kind of interesting. Um, so you know like between this and gintama like th- there's there are some series that i'm i'm really surprised that uh, jump gets away with at some points um and and that's just that just comes down to a thing i really like about jump is that you know sometimes you have your series that are very uh that are very for a certain demographic like you have stuff like uh one piece and bleach like the very action heavy series that you know though like those series are perfectly fine with just being for 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 young boys or young men though those are for a particular audience that you can tell in the way it's uh written and how it's executed and whatnot and then there are those anomalies like gintama and death note where um where you're where you kind of think about like what sort of demographic jump usually aims for and you're kind of like huh they can 
like I, I, I like I like stuff that do- isn't just a slave to its demographic that is still able to um, that is still able to dive into a lot of a lot of mature themes and whatnot. The, and I think that's why I enjoy a lot of manga in Shonen Jump is that, yeah, the, the, like the overall demographic is for mostly younger, young, young males, but still tackles a lot of uh, different subject matter when uh, depending on the series when it wants to. That notes appeal is definitely in the fact that it isn't anything like what came out during that time. Like, in both, like, the fields of manga and anime, it just is a unique take on this concept. It has very interesting, very distinct characters, and the core drive of the series is this idea of what is justice, and we have two sides of that. We have Light, who believes that justice is getting rid of all evil, and he must take any steps to get rid of that evil, even if it means being evil himself. And mm-hmm. L, who believes that Kira isn't justice, Kira is evil. And the idea of bringing Kira to justice, the idea of stopping Kira is justice. So the act of stopping Kira is justice, and that is what L operates on. Just the idea that it isn't right for Kira to be doing what he is doing, and to be operating outside the law. So that is, like, the core ideological divide that drives most of Death Note. But more than that is just the battle of wits between Light and Alice that's so compelling. Again, I what's really engaging about Death Note is like the mind games that Light and Al have to have to like do in order to trick each other into giving them more information in order to like keep a distance between them so because any wrong move will result in either Light being captured by L or L being killed by Light. So it's this constant pull of the rope in terms of like giving details when they're needed, but holding back on others and trying to see who will mess up first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but um V Lord hasn't got much of a chance to say <laughs> much. Um I, I I do want to hear from V Lord a little bit because as we've mentioned earlier, uh this this was your first time reading Death Note. Yeah, so for me, like, Death Note is, like, one of those things that I've always been, like, aware of. Because it was big in middle school, big in high school, but I just never bothered to read it. But going into this, I kind of knew a lot of the plot anyways, because people talk about this stuff. You, you kind of just get a grasp on, like, what exactly happens. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I knew I knew a fair bit of what to expect, but... After reading the first chapter, what surprised me right away is that Light pretty much becomes a psychopath right away. <laughs> like, I was expecting probably something around the lines of, like, Mikado from a Durarara, where, like, he slowly just loses his humanity, which Light does do, but it's far more drastic at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, within the first chapter himself, he's already, like, convinced himself to kill like hundreds if not thousands of people uh it like took like maybe one night for him to get over his inhibitions and yeah like when he starts out killing people like he does it because he's bored he wants to like try it out and he kills like a guy who's not even doing anything really that bad he's just like flirting with this girl and making her uncomfortable that's it it's not like a real crime or anything but he kills that guy and he's like oh he yeah. brought in truck coon. 
Yeah, uh, he summons Trakun. Maybe he's the reason that Fuka died too. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah. So see, I see, I I kind of disagree with that. I because I, well, I I I agree with the notion that you know Light's transformation from normal high schooler to yeah, this psychopath who is hell bent on getting rid of all evil in the world within the first chapter is pretty quick, but. There are at least some instances of, like, I don't know if I really want to call it humanity, but I can't think of a different word. Uh, like, there there are moments of, like, because, you know, when, when he kills that guy, it's not like, I don't think he was particularly, like, like entirely proud of himself. Like, I still, th- there, there are still moments where, like, he's still shocked at, like, people dying and, you know, meeting, meeting the sh- uh, his uh, Shinigami Ryuk and whatnot. So I still think there are, like bits of humanity in there but i do agree that yeah his his transformation it it all happens within the first chapter it's not super gradual you know yeah i mean like he definitely still has humanity at the beginning it's just that like compared to how you'd expect he kind of gets into the mentality of okay i need to save humanity now i'm the only one who can purge evil from the world like really quickly okay so like after like okay so like kills like the guy who is hitting on that girl in the first chapter like just because he wants to see what happens and then after he does that and he's like whoa i killed like two people and so then he like does like feel a little disgusting with himself, but very quickly, very quickly, immediately after, he rationalizes that he was doing a service for the world, because they were rotten people, the world is rotten, and he needs to clean it up. So, like, again, in one night, in, like, one day, he convinces himself that he is the only one that can clean up the world, and who can use the Death Note to change the world and kill all the rotten people. Yeah, So, I mean, it is, like, pretty immediate in the first chapter, like, him rationalizing, like, what he's doing. That killing people is a good thing. I will say, though, that you know, one thing that the series does go into is that the Death Note itself may corrupt people and lead them astray and, you know, lead them down that path of darkness. Because as we see later when, like, you loses his memories, his entire personality really changes. And we can see he's a lot more of a moral person. He would never really do the things that Kira would do, like manipulating people, uh, killing them out of self-interest. Like, he would not do that. He 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 believes that killing people is wrong when he loses his memories. But with the Death Note in his hands, and with the temptation to try it out, and after actually doing it, and that guilt of doing it then making him rationalize why he should continue to do it, I think that transformation leads credence to the idea that the Death Note does corrupt people, even people who would otherwise... Turned out to be good people. Like, Light probably could have turned out to be a pretty good person if he never had the Death Note in his hands. Like, it brings out the worst in people. Yeah, I mean, they kind of do bring this up near the end of the series, where, like, near during, like, the final, like, thing when they finally figure out, like, Light is cured, Nier mentions that if you really, if you really were an ordinary person, you would have been so afraid after first seeing the Death Note that you would have never touched again. Mm-hmm. Like, the Death Note is definitely corrupting people but from overuse. But at the same time, they have to have that kind of justification in their mind to keep using it. Like, 
We see this with the other users, too, like uh, Higuchi and Mikami, where they aren't, like, necessarily terrible people before they had the Death Notes, but because they be- they had some sort of belief within them that felt like it justified them continuing to use the Death Note, and that's what made them become, like, psychopaths. Yeah, they had a strong conviction as well as a certain darkness in their hearts that overtook them once they gained the power to kill people anonymously without, like, fear of judgment. And then they became, like, blinded by that power into thinking that they had the right to use that power in order to get rid of whoever was in their way, to get rid of the evil in the world. It's kind of like the how internet commenters act, you know? With the anonymity <laughs> of the internet, you can say and do horrible things that if in real life you did them, you wouldn't do them because you'd be afraid of being judged. You'd be afraid of being ostracized and people like saying, no, what you're doing is wrong. But on the internet, you can say terrible things. You can do horrible things and you don't have to worry about the fear of repercussion because no one knows that you're doing it. And that's kind of like how Light operates. If people knew Light was using the Death Note, he wouldn't be able to use it in the ways he does because he would be afraid of being judged by society who openly says that killing people is wrong. But, you know, because he can do it in anonymity, he can operate without that guilt. And as we see, there are people who in public will say what Kira is doing is wrong, killing people is wrong, but on the internet, they support him and they say they're glad for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, it's that concept of what would you do if you had the power to kill people? What would you do if you could get away with killing people without fear of repercussions? How far would you go with it? Would you stop? But light doesn't stop. Light just continues on and on, and it consumes them. And he has to keep killing people after a certain point. He can't stop. And the entire series, after a certain point, becomes less about him trying to make the world a better place, but more about being allowed to continue to kill people, to be able to continue being Kira. Because the identity of being Kira, the power that has... That is what is alluring him. That is what he is clinging to. And that is what he, you know, is like fighting so hard to protect more so than this idea of a perfect, pure world without any bad people. It stops being about that. After yeah, it, it, it basically becomes more about him developing this sort of like God complex, essentially. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it becomes more about him trying to be the god of the new world than him trying to make a pure world. Like, he becomes consumed by the idea that he is god and that everyone who is going against him are blasphemers that deserve to be punished. And this happens pretty early on when he kills the FBI agents. They aren't bad people. He kills them because he doesn't want them to get close to him and discover his secret. And that's... It. And he kills a bunch of innocent people, like people who are good people, just to protect that secret. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd say that that was definitely the big turning point where before that it was him killing criminals. And then he's starting to, it stops being about for the greater good. It stops being more being about himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of the first volume, Light has pretty much completed that transformation into like being obsessed with his god complex and like just 
becoming a flat-out murderer at that point without any real ideals. He's using the ideals more as a facade to justify what he's doing rather than actually following those principles. And after that, only things that he really has that clings to humanity that like really gives him some humanity is that he does care a little bit about his family. Just a little bit though. But <laughs> even then, he slow he slowly comes to see them as disposable in himself. I mean, even in the beginning, he saw his connection with his father and his father's role as the chief of the NPA as something he can exploit and something he can use to protect himself. But as the story goes on, like, he becomes, you know, less connected with, like, his family and, like, use them more as also just pawns that he can use whenever he pleases and kill off whenever he needs to. Like, on his father's deathbed, he cares less about the fact that his dad is dying than the fact that his dad knows who Mello's real name is and he tries to get his dad to, in his dying breaths, to write out Mello's name. That's all he can think about. All he can think about is killing Mello. He doesn't care that his dad is dying. And that's that is the scene that completely finally, finally completes life's transformation. That's the moment where life's humanity is completely wiped out and yeah. he's just pure, a pure his mentality his actions they are just pure evil purely irredeemable after that point yeah like even before that point like when Mel uh, kidnaps Sayu mm-hmm. like Light saying to himself worst case scenario I just kill my dad and Sayu and everything will be fine right he never brings himself to do it though so you could argue that there was something holding him back from, like, pulling the trigger. But in that moment, when his dad is dying, the moment where he thinks to himself, I need to get him to write the name. I need him to get him to write Mello's name. The moment he start, the moment that happens, the moment he starts thinking about that over the fact that his dad is dying, that's the moment where you realize, as a reader, that Light is far gone. There is no going back for him in, yeah. in terms of redeeming him as a human being. Like, one, one other point around that time that really stuck out to me was, like, when his dad and the rest of the NPR trying to kind of arrest Mello, and, like, pretty much his dad doesn't sh- shoot him right away. He, like, wants him to, like, wants Mello to, like, drop the bomb instead of, like, killing him right away. And, like, legitimately pissed off because of this. Because he's like, why don't they kill him? Why don't they just finish him off? What's wrong with them? God, it's like they're human beings or something. Life thinks killing is a solution for basically everything, to get rid of everything in his way. Like, he thinks that everyone that's going against him deserves to die. But, so Ichiro, you know, he is a good person. He would never, you know, kill people without good cause to. And, you know, even... Like, at the end, even though a person as dangerous as Mello, you know, put him and his daughters through so much terror, like, he can't bring himself to kill a person. Like, not... He can't bring himself to take the law into his own hands and pass judgment on a person. Unlike Light, who believes that he has the right to pass judgment because he has to let know. Yeah. So, so I guess in this case, the apple falls very far from the tree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, like, but, um... I was going to say, yes, yeah, so, so Ichiro, a lo- if, if it weren't for Matsuda, um, I would say that uh, so, so Ichiro is probably the best character in the entire series. So Ichiro is the purest character in the entire series, I would say. Yeah. Because he, 
you know, he's MVP. Very, well, he's an <laughs> I, I'm talking about like his character, his moral character here, in terms because he is like he believes in the justice of the law. He believes in you know innocent until proven guilty. He believes that people it is not right to kill people to take the law into your own hands and kill people. He believes in a passing fair judgment as a society and that no one person has the right to decide whether someone lives or dies. Like, Soichiro tries so hard as throughout the entire series to, like, do the right thing, even though it puts him and his family under so much, like, stress. Like, when L tells him, you know, he is going to put cameras in his home and monitor his family because he suspects one of them of being Kira, Soichiro is like, well, if you're going to do it, then you better damn well go all the way with it. I want them anywhere. I want you to prove without a shadow of a doubt that my family is innocent. Like, he will do whatever it takes, even... Like, with the emotional burden that it places on him and the stress it take, puts on him to find out the truth of the case. And for the entire series, he has to contend with this question, like, is my son Kira? And it's like, tears him up inside. Like, it drives him insane. He has to put himself into confinement alongside, like, Light and Misa when they get put imprisoned because you know he doesn't know what he will do because he's it's just too emotional but he's thinking about it and he's like you know this is i need to do what's best for the case please also put me in confinement and so man it's just so hard to watch because you know like is kira you know he's just using his dad's love for him and it's just <laughs> on his deathbed, when Soichiro is looking at light, and he has, like, the eyes of the Shinigami, so he can, like, see whether uh, someone is a holder of the death note, depending on whether, you know, he can see the lifespan or not. And he looks at light, and he, he can tell that, okay, my son is not a owner of a death note. That has to mean he's Akira. And he's uh. just so relieved. And it's like, he's tearing up. And of course, light does not care. Light does not, <laughs> light does not, what? Oh, uh, yeah, whatever, dad. And light is just thinking, uh, God, I need to get this guy to kill Mel before he dies. <laughs> so, it's just, he's such a tragic character. And Ryuk is common thing. Uh, everyone who uses the dead note, you know, suffers tragedy. But I guess Soichiro never found out like his Kira, so he was spared that at least. And that is just yeah. like, such a bittersweet note for Soichiro's character. Yeah, th- th- things things are really better that way. Because like, could could you imagine if like if like somehow Soichiro found out that he was Kira like right before he dies? That would he just... would kill himself if he yeah. like he said that if his son is Kira, he would take responsibility and kill himself. Yeah, that's kill, the kind of guy he is. Kill himself. Like that's yeah. the kind of guy he is. He he would take that responsibility upon himself. Like the guilt of being the father of Kira would be too much for him. He would just die right then and there, yeah. like inside, and then he would kill himself later. In that respect, I'm glad he doesn't find out because that would have been it's more so ironic, though. Because the- especially because his family just gets like yeah. destroyed because of light, because of the fact that light is Kira and he's on the Kira investigation team. Like Sayu gets kidnapped by Mello, and after that, apparently, you know, she becomes like uh, she, she, her mind has been like destroyed, and like Which she's in a wheelchair. Kind of and, makes no sense because she yeah, was, yeah, that she was fine on the helicopter. Yeah, she looked but, completely like 
stable in the helicopter. And then the next time we see her, she's in a wheelchair and she looks like brain dead. Yeah, she's been like so traumatized and it's like, like, life destroys his family. And it's just so, that just makes him just so much the more evil. That he can destroy his family and then go on to continue lying to them and yeah. not even care about them as people, but just as pawns in his game. And, like, there's this moment where Aizawa is thinking about oh my god, is Light going to eventually convince his mother and daughter that his dad's death was justified because he went against Kira? It's like, god, Light is so despicable for what he puts his family through. So on on that subject, um, I was also reading a bit of um, Death Note Volume 13, aka How to Read, the guidebook that came out a little while back. Um, and uh, there, there's a part of the book where um, where I whoever's whoever's interviewing Oba and Obata uh, gives them a, cu- uh, a couple of questions to have them answer. And uh, one of the questions was uh, that they were asked was, who is the most pitiful character in the entire series? And they both answer the Yagami family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also this quote about like where Obata or Oba is saying that Light is very evil, L is a little evil, and Suichiro is the only one who's good. And I think that you could say that Suichiro is probably the only character in the series where if he had got the Death Note in his hands, he would never use it. Ever. No. Yeah. He wouldn't even touch it. I mean, we saw, he does get the Death Note, he doesn't use it. He doesn't use it against Melo. He doesn't write his name down. So we know that. We We have proof of that. So Weecher was the only person in this series who I think you could say would never be tempted to yeah. use the death note. And even then, like you said, like if he writes it down, he will he's planned to die. He yeah. wants to die after he I mean the someone. only way he would write that down is because of the thirteen day rule and yeah. the fact that he would die later. Like that is the only if he there was if he knew that rule was not in place even if he had to go steward it, he would just kill himself yeah, immediately. He, he doesn't want to live. Could not with live that with the guilt of no. killing a person. He's just that pure. Yeah, but um, I guess just moving. I was I was saying earlier. Yeah, if it weren't if it weren't for Matsuda, Soichiro would be probably my favorite character. But I have to be honest, Matsuda is kind of my favorite character throughout the entirety of the series. Yeah, Matsuda, Matsuda is a great character in terms of his evolution because he, at the beginning, he is the one member of the Kira task force who is willing to bring up the fact that Kira is making a change on the world and, you know, whether it is right to stop him. That doesn't stop him from joining the task force and trying to do the right thing and w- operate under the law. But Matsuda is also not one to ignore the fact that what Kira is doing and what Kira's intentions are might not be such a bad thing, and maybe the world could be a better place if Kira was around. Yeah, because he he constantly brings up the changes brought about by the existence of Kira. Like hell, I think either he or Light mentioned near the end of the series that like the overall crime rate of the entire world like decreases by like seventy percent or some shit. Yeah, like yeah, and he mentions that after like Light's dad has died in a time where like the task force is, like, very vulnerable and very angry. And he's like, you know, guys, is this even... Are we even doing the right thing, like, going after Kira at this point? I mean, he even helped... Kira even helped us find out where Mello is and stuff. So, you know, Matsuda is not... Is always open to the idea that maybe Kira is doing things 
for the gr- sake of the greater good. But that doesn't stop him from helping out with the investigation yeah. and just being an earnest person. And Matsuda is always willing to, like, go the extra mile to help. Like, he goes off on his own to infiltrate the Yotsuba group. And he gains, even though it puts his life in danger and, like, you know, uh, it almost screws things up. The fact that he was able to do that, the fact that he was, you know, able to get some valuable information out of that, you know, there he did contribute. He does contribute. Even though everyone throughout the entire series gives him shit for being an idiot, for saying stupid things... You know, at the end of the day, Matsuda is probably one of the more inquisitive people because he's always thinking about, like, what is right or wrong and pointing out injustices and flaws in people's logic. Like, at towards the end, when Nier is wearing, like, L's mask, he's, like, saying, hey, you know, this isn't fair if this guy's going to hide his identity even though he said he wanted to meet face-to-face to us. Like, Matsuda, he, I think he's actually the most, like, innocent in terms of like he has like this childlike optimism about the world yeah so mm. he's always willing to give people the benefit of doubt and like he's you know the guy who becomes the most buddy buddy with ryuk too when like the rest of the investigation team becomes able to see ryuk so we get some fun moments <laughs> with that as well and he's just also a funny character because you know he is such an earnest and likable person and because like you can sympathize with him because people give a shit but also because he makes some stupid mistakes and does some dumb things and oh. has some zealous things you know you you gotta love when he's like commenting on you know lights meetings with Takata and treating oh. it like a soap opera <laughs> yeah those are <laughs> so great <laughs> But it, it's also just so... But And also, he's, like, the only member of the investigation team who, right up until the end, never doubts Light. He never doubts that Light is innocent and is not Kira, when everyone else has. Like, he has such faith in the people around him. And then it's all shattered. And it's all shattered. That's what makes it so cathartic that Matsuda is the one to shoot light. Because Matsuda is the one who is most betrayed. Matsuda truly trusted light from the bottom of his heart. And he asked light, uh, once he's shooting them, with tears in his eyes, what was it all for? What did your dad die for? And light is like, he, my dad died. So the world would be a better place for people like him. And Matsuda can, immediately notice the contradictions and Light's arguments and he's not fooled by what he's saying to him and when you know Light goes for tries to write down uh, in blood the name of Nier he like shoots him again he's like this guy is irredeemable he has to die and then eventually you know he is pure enough that he stops himself or like they get to him before he's able to go through it but but I don't know if he would be able to like really shoot light because he is also innocent in the sense I don't think he could take a life yeah, he, like maybe when, with the temptation of the death note but like just on his own he couldn't do that like when and, like uh, when Ariaka finally gives like the killing blow to light you can see like Amasa's face he's like kind of horrified he's feeling sorry for light so deep yeah. down I I don't think he would have been able to pull the trigger like cuz he Deep down, he still cares about Light. Like, yeah, yeah, Matsuda did have empathy when Light was dying, and he was, like, watching him. And, like, even a year later, Matsuda still hasn't been able to get over Light and still has some fondness of him that he just... He's trying to rationalize, like, that Nier was also duplicitous and all these other things. But, like, at the end of the day, like, he still just 
can't get over the fact that Light betrayed him like that, and Light was Kira and such, and did such horrible things to people he cared about because Matsuda, again, he is the most trustful person, he is the more op- most optimistic person, and like, he sees both sides, but he also knows when people are full of shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm I'm tearing up just thinking about him. Like I I was actually I was almost in tears when it's like, you know, he he shoots light, but I just just that look of betrayal on his face just hurts me so bad. It's so yeah, it's so emotional. Like in the yeah. anime too, whether it's dub or sub, like when you see his face and hear like his shaking, trembling voice, it's just like heartbreaking. And but it's also what makes it like makes that scene so cathartic is that. It is Matsuda, the middle ground, who thinks about both sides and also thinks about the best of people. It's the fact that he is the one who shoots light and who is asking him, what was this all for? Yeah, that's it's, what makes it's the it so one satisfying. light least expects, because yeah. he thinks when he's going to write down the name, it's going to be uh, near or one of his cronies that's going to like try to shoot him. But no, it's Matsuda, the person that he thought was the closest to his ideals. Yeah. Or re- re- really, the person he thought was the dumbest. That yeah, and, and that too. That and the one he thought he could most convince to get to his side because yeah. Matsuda had previously before stated that he was conflicted as to whether, you know, Kira was right and stuff. So, you know, the, again, that just adds another layer to why it was so satisfying that he was the one to mortally wound Light. But of course, even more satisfying was the fact that Ryuk wrote Light's name in the Death Note right in front of him, right as Light was begging him to kill everyone else. And Ryuk was like, you know, you reached the end of your rope, Light. I was thinking you could get out of this one, but, oh well, you killed my boredom for a little while, but now it's come to an end. Remember, at the beginning, I said I would write your name the Death Note when this was all over. I would be the one to kill you. That time has come. Sorry. And, like, (laughs) it's just... (laughs) It's so that that is satisfying because for the entire series, Light used Ryuk as again just another tool, just someone he can use. Uh which is pretty ballsy considering that Ryuk is an actual death god. Like yeah, and Ryuk but he, him at any time. he treats him like an idiot, he bosses him around, but com- again, this is like Light falling into this delusion that he is like God and he has the authority of God that he has like, he, I mean, I think the fact that he was able to kill Rem didn't help that <laughs> fact that, you know, him thinking of himself like is above everyone in the world. But no, throughout the entire thing, Ryuk was just enabling him. He was just letting Light do what he wants because he wanted to see what Light was going to go with everything with all was said and done and then when light is at the end of this rope like ryuk like reminds him in a very chilling way that he was the one who had the power this whole time he was the one who was letting light do all these things and he ultimately is the one who takes light's life right in front of him he can't do anything about it and like the 40 seconds just like dwindle is like, is all the way just screaming, please save me. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And then the heart attack and he dies and he's like, yeah. no, damn it. 
Yeah, from the very and beginning, Rhea says, like, yeah, I'm not your friend or your enemy. I'm just here to watch. And Rhea told him at the beginning, you know, don't expect people who use the Death Note to be able to go to heaven and hell. And in the flashback in chapter, like, 107, we realized there was a continuation of that, where Light was saying, oh, thanks for telling me that, Rhea, because you've confirmed to me that there is no heaven and hell. And Rhea's like, you're very perspective. You're exactly right. There is no afterlife. Everyone goes to the same place where they die. And in the, like, rules of the Death Note that are, like, in, like, the volume pages, it says that the place people go to when they die is Mu, a.k.a. nothingness. They become nothing when they die. That there's nothing after death for human beings. So mm-hmm. Light, Light thing taught of himself as a god, but in the end, when he dies, he is nothing. He is nothing. And... Everything that he did as Kira essentially is starting to revert. There are still some remnants of what he did. There are still a cult of people who, like, worship Kira. There is this sense that maybe one day all this will begin again. But like Yagami's impact on the world, Light as a person, forgotten by the world. He is nothing to anybody except for the few people who remember him. I, th- I think we can all agree, just while we're on the subject, that the ending to death, the actual ending of Death Note and the climax is amazing, right? It is. Yeah. Like, in the manga, I, I mean, I think it drags a little bit because it's like the entire climax, the entire final confrontation is like chapters 101 to 107. It's a whole volume. Yeah, it's basically a whole volume. And a lot of it is like explaining, of course, like uh, the very. It's not actually that complicated when you think about it. It's just they switched out the notebooks. A lot of the time, like, seems to just ha- be repeating that he changed out the page- pages like yeah. five times. Yeah, like they kind of over-explained that. You could simplify it and it's actually way easier to understand. Yeah. Like, like knew that Nier was going to switch out the notebooks. So he had Mikami carry around a fake notebook. But he hid the real notebook away. But when Light lost communication with Mikami when Takata was killed, Mikami took... Well, no, when Mikami was captured, uh, Takata took... No, wait. (laughs) I I got the names mixed up. When Takata was captured, Mikami took matters into his own hands and got the real notebook. That caught the suspicions of Nier's agents. They figured it out, and then they switched out the pages in the real notebook, too. And that, that, it's pretty simple, actually. Essentially, Mikami fucked everything up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it would have been even more satisfying if Light himself like, was the person who fucked things up, but the fact that Light's plan, Light's grand plan was, like, disrupted by, like, the trust he placed in Mikami and, like, stuff that he couldn't control is also satisfying in its own right. I think at the end of the day, it is Light's fault, though, because, like, he was in this mentality that, oh, Nier is an inferior L, which he is an inferior L. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Like, he underestimated He underestimated L, and then... He he knew that Mikami Mikami's habits. He know that there he doesn't have to tell Mikami to do everything. Mikami's going to take his own volition on things. Yeah, he underestimated Mikami as well. He underestimated yeah. like Mikami's devotion to him. Yeah, he under uh, he underestimated Mik- Mikami's devotion, and he under underestimated Nier's abilities as kind of a replacement L. Yeah, but in the end, yes, it is very satisfying to see Light finally be brought down. And again, of the, all those elements of the people involved, particularly Matsuda and Ryuk, just make it so all the more satisfying. And I just love like the expression, his dying expression, which is just so cold, <laughs> yeah, and lifeless, and like 
repugnant too. He looks hideous. He looks like the monster he is. Honestly. And and then and then that double page spread of just like complete black. Yeah, yeah. Like I think it really uh, finishes off that chapter really nicely. Uh, but to speak about the differences between the ending in the anime and manga, because this is where always been very interesting to me. Uh, you've seen the anime, right, Colton? Yeah, I've seen I've seen all of it. So, like, in the the ending of the anime is very different because Light escapes the warehouse and then he like runs through the street for a while, I guess, and like he passes like a vision of his younger self, like what he could have been, I guess, and then he like dies on top of a staircase while he sees a vision of L, where Light is like flowing down on him, and it's like, see, the anime portrays the death of Light as more tragic than in the manga. In the manga, it was like it seemed like deserved and just. Like the framing of Light's death is completely different. Light dies in a more dignified like, manner in the anime, whereas in the manga, he dies, like, begging for his life right up until the last minute, and then dies with just this repugnant expression. In the anime, he dies with, like, this, you know, pretty boy, like, he's, he slowly closes his eyes, his light is flickering down on him. We can't have our like, pretty boy look ugly at the end. Like, the spirit of El <laughs> is looking down on him, it's, it's... Again, it's like the anime presents this idea that life was more of a martyr, that life was more tragic, which I think confuses the message mm-hmm. and is not what and this is not the interpretation you get no, in like, uh, you know, the original manga. Life dies like a bitch. Like <laughs> The manga makes no the manga makes no qualms. They it does not it does not like confuse the idea that Light is ever a good person. No, the yeah. manga shows that Light died as, you know, he acted with the dead note, despicably. That's some of my favorite parts of the, um, of that, of the climaxes where, like, you could tell that just, like, everything's falling apart and Light, Light just, like, flails all about, trying to run away and he falls to the ground at one point and it's just, like, is cornered like the rat he is. Yeah. And it's just, it's, 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 it's. It's pathetic. It's absolutely yeah. pathetic fall for grace. It is it is cathartically pathetic. <laughs> this is another major change uh from in the anime. And so in the manga, Mikami sees light flailing around. He sees light like desperately like tr- flinging at any possibility to like get out of this and he light is asking Mikami for help and Mikami's like, "You're no god. You're scum." Like, in the manga, Mikami, like, sees Light for who he really is. In the anime, like, Mikami looks at Light and he, like, tears up. He goes insane because his god is, like, you know, dying. And he kills himself to help the Light escape. Like, yeah, he, like, cuts his neck open so, like, it sprays blood and distracts, like, every and distracts all the people in the warehouse so Light can, like, escape. I mean, so, like, that's another huge difference that I, that, you know, again, characterizes, like, how you're supposed to see light at the end of the series differently between the anime and manga. And, of course, the anime does not contain any of chapter 108, which, you know, questions, like, whether Mir himself was moral, whether another Kira is going to arise again, and, like, what the long-lasting implications of Kira's legacy will be. Like, the entirety of Chapter 8 is not in the anime. So the anime has, like, no epilogue. No. It has no epilogue. Oh, the, there, it is the very heavily implied, as, as far as I can remember, that Misa kills herself at the end of the anime, I think. Which what is a fuck? little confusing, <laughs> because Misa has no memories of, like... Light as Kira. Well, no, at that but point. she it it she states very clearly 
at some point in the manga that, you know, she doesn't want to live without light. Yeah, but how does she know? Because the way the anime frames it is that all of this is happening at the same time. Light is dying. How is she, does she know that light is dead at that point? That's fair. Again, yeah. It's very confusing. Yeah. Like, so it's like very possible that she killed herself, but like why she killed herself? Like at that sad same moment that light at that moment. Himself, okay. That I, I, is yeah. confusing. I can, I can, that, that, that framing did not, was very questionable. But yeah. Okay. Even after that, it's not like they ever reveal that light was Kira to the public. So no, no they don't. Yeah. And Misa is completely in the dark about all this at this point. Yeah. Uh, all, but that's one thing that's like very strangely absent from the end of the manga is that we don't know what happens to Misa at the end. She's not in the final chapter at all. Like, I thought that one girl who is in the robes who puts like the candle in like the, like the, in the gathering of care worshippers could be Misa, but it, you know, yeah, I, I keep, thought that was Misa. But I, when I keep referencing it back, it actually does not look that much like Misa. I just think it's just No, like, yeah, uh, yeah, Oba and Obata have confirmed that themselves that it's not Misa, so. It's not Misa. No, so it's no. like, we don't know at all what happens to Misa at the end of the series. She just completely forgot about. Like, uh, at the end of the series, like, I think, like, Oba and Obata just, you know, did not know what to do with her when she lost her, like, memories of the Kira killings again. So they just, they try to do something with her, you know, with having her have a rival with Kata. But then at some point, like, uh, you know, they, they basically kind of stay, like, stay flat out that Nier is trying to get all the people who aren't necessary out of the way by imprisoning, like, Misa and Mogi at one point. So, yeah, yeah I think that's, uh, that was Oba, like, subtly saying, yeah, I just need to get Misa out of here. I mean, I think it would have been good to at least, like, maybe, like, just have, like, a banner or something in the background, like, of Misa's career or something, or, like, doing yeah. something. So I want to know what happened to her, because, alive. like, she was, she is a main character in the series. She's one of the, she is the female lead, and she just does not get any closure to her story. Yeah. And for me, like, I really thought it would be satisfying if Misa, you know, did get some comeuppance online. If she did get, like, she did do something to punish Light for all the horrible things that he did to her when he was using her and, like, manipulating her. But, you know, that just never happens, which to me is, like, the most unsatisfying thing about Misa's character. Like, there is this, like, meme in the fandom that Misa is, like, this terrible character. She's really but not upon that Upon reading that, no, no, I don't think she's really that bad. I mean, you could argue that she's a morally, she can be a worse character because she, you know, has no ideals upon which she is committing murders. She's just doing it to get the attention of Kira, and she's willing to kill other girls that, you know, Light gets close to out of spite and jealousy. But, like, as a character in of herself, like, she she might not be as smart as Light and L, but she can hold her own, and she has some wit about her. Yeah. And she also, you know, I, in some respect, I do find the fact that she is so devoted to Light endearing in the same way I find Matsuda's, like, devotion to light endearing but uh, unlike Matsuda she does not get that uh, chance to pay back (laughs) light she does not get that chance to get her you know just desserts to like punish light for what he did to her and to me that's the most satisfying aspect about her character I mean I think people find Misa annoying because she dotes on light so much I think especially in the anime she in both dub and sub she does not have she has a particularly annoying voice and there are some, like, moments where you're like, no, don't do this. Don't trust this guy. But throughout the entire manga, as I was reading it, I had a lot of sympathy for her because she was in such a terrible position. But she just 
didn't realize it. And, like, throughout the entire manga, even though I knew she would not get, like, that revenge, I was just wishing to myself, man, I wish Misa would see the light about light. I wish Misa would, would figure out this guy is a horrible person who is just using her and would do something to get her revenge on him for that. She doesn't, he doesn't love you, Misa. Just stab the bastard. I, yeah, I, I, mean, I feel like she wouldn't care if if um if Light didn't love her back because that that's that's just kind of her character. She just loves Light no matter what. She does say that like you know she's okay with like like using her at one point, but like that was like a moment of desperation. But like especially during like the fine in the final arc, she was going increasingly like resentful about like meeting with Takata. I feel like just uh, something, just something could push have pushed her over the edge to like completely turning on light to realizing, you know what? Screw light. You've used me. I'm not going to take this anymore. I wish that there was just something, there was some evolution for like just finally realizing, you know what? This guy's bad for me. This guy has always been bad for me. And <sighs> Fuck you, like. Okay, okay. I just... well, here, here, here's the thing. I, I want to talk about Misa a little bit because, like, I do agree that I feel like, I feel like the whole notion that Misa is a bad character, like, I don't agree with that. But I also don't think she's an amazing character either. Like, I don't think she's necessarily. I don't think she's. I don't want to say I don't think she's a good character, but like, she's not really like. I don't know. She's kind. She's honestly one of my least favorite characters because to me. I feel like personally Misa was kind of a means to an end. Like she, I don't know. I feel weird calling because I, I really do feel like she was just, she just ended up being a tool, but also I can't falter for that because like, you know, it's like you said, she was okay with being used by light. That was, that was of her own volition. So I can't give her too much shit for that, but it's like, yeah, I don't think she's a terrible character like everyone is. Cause I, I even I was kind of surprised. Like, you know, there are moments where she can, kind of sort of fend for herself and think for herself she's not again she is not as smart as light but you know even light is kind of surprised that some of the um uh, uh so some some of the stuff she's pulled off in trying to um basically trying to keep her identity as the second kira early on a secret and uh, how careful she is in trying to find light even I was kind of shocked, like, oh, I don't remember her doing any of this, because, you know, I was kind of in, I used to be kind of in that party of, oh yeah, Misa's a terrible character, she's dumb, huh, when, again, she's not as smart as Light, but, you know, she's smart enough to be able to fend for herself, which I do appreciate, but, again, I don't think she's a terrible character, but I don't, I think she could have been a better character, though, personally. She yeah. found out Light's identity before he found out hers. In fact, who knows when he would have been able to find out her identity exactly. without actually being able to meet her. But she was able to. Yeah. She is very resourceful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I my, I can see what you're saying about, you know, Misa ultimately just being a tool for the series. Like her having the Shinigami eyes just being another, like, tool for Light to use. But I take issue just with the way Oba wrote her into that role more so with her characterization in itself because there are just so many snippets especially in the Yotsuba arc that show the promise of a character that could be more interesting that could be given more agency of her own and given a better character arc but Oba just does not take it in that direction and Quite frankly, I don't think Oba writes very good female characters. No, That's a I don't. I don't think so either. Of all of series, but like reading Death Note, it again, it just particularly bothers me. Like 
the way he characterizes his female characters. And also, like, a lot of the statements characters make about women in general in oh, the series. God, yeah. Like, women are, women are, can't resist the word fate. Uh, well, see, like, I, see, I don't, I, I, I took issue with some of that stuff too, but I, I equate that to just light being an asshole. Except I don't... it's not just light. It's uh, other characters in the series too make comments about like women having like weaker hearts or being e- easily fooled yeah. and stuff. Like the first one that really bothered me was Ray Penber's fiance, the FBI agent that yeah. like kills. Like in the first conversation between like Ray and like his wife, Ray, like Ray's wife is like, Hey, maybe you should look more into this light guy. It raised like immediately. Stop talking about the case. You're a housewife now. Do yeah. a housewife thing. What the hell? She's making <laughs> astute observations. Just because she's not a member of the FBI anymore, why can't she help you with this case? Well, okay, hold on, hold well, on. What's the danger? No, no, Colton, it's not. It's indefensible. I don't know how you're trying to defend this. She is not in danger at that point. There's nothing wrong with her giving her opinions on the case. Fair enough. There's, a, there's no reason for him to ignore her opinions, to not put them into consideration. That's fair. He just completely <laughs> shoots it down, saying, no, I your opinions don't matter. It. I don't give a shit about the, you or your opinions. You sh- you're a housewife now. Act like a housewife. Get okay, back in see, the kitchen. I didn't, That's literally I didn't take it like attitude. that. See, I, no, I personally... No, that is. Okay. That is the attitude that he takes in that scene. It makes no sense. He does not listen to her at all. He just says, you're a housewife now. You're not a member of the FBI. Don't get involved. What? Just telling her, her you her opinion? What the <laughs> hell? She could help you with this case. I don't... It does not make any sense at all. It, yeah. It's just one of those examples of just like this... <sighs> This very antiquated view on humans, women's roles and, like, the character, characterizing women that just really bugs me about, talk, about Oba's writing. Well, let me, let me make my point real quick. I do agree that, um, I don't really care for a lot of the female characters in Death Note either. I think a lot of them, unfortunately, are, especially Misa, in my opinion, are, are kind of a means to an end and are kind of just used to yeah. move the plot along. But, so, uh, the the thing is with um, especially with light in particular, like you know, there there are moments where like you know when when light is trying to get himself out of a situation, like during um during with um with Naomi uh Penber's wife and uh, with him trying to basically get rid of Naomi, you know he's constantly trying to come up with ways to try to keep her away from the task force early on. And, you know, at one point he's like, oh, well, she's a woman. I could just, I could just like force my way onto her or whatever, or use force against her. And like comments like that, I think are pretty despicable. But I also feel like, I don't know, because I feel like a lot of the like comments on women, the fact that most of them come from light, I feel like doesn't bother me because we know that light's a fucking asshole and he does. Yeah, but it'd be one thing if it was just light. It's not just light. It's Again, not just light. Ray but Pember, yeah. Yeah. other members, even L makes a comment. L does it, Nier does it, a few of the other agents do it. It's like kind of a common thing. It, yeah, That's it's true. not just light. If it was just light, I would be totally fine with that because that would be like his own characterization. But it seems to not just be light. It seems to be the perspective of most of the characters in the manga 
who make comments about women, it seems to be, it, from experience with Sagumi Oba's other works, oh, okay. like Bakuman, I know that this is a common thing in all of his, like, oh, writing. Oh, yeah, like, he's just, oh, God, he's Bakuman, just, his yeah. writing about, his writing of women, his perspective on women is just com- really sexist. I just like, flat out. So I'm here's sorry. A, here, here's another thing I do want to bring up while we're on the subject. So an, another tidbit that um, Oba mentions in the How to Read volume is that um, the entirety of the existence of the of that scene where um, Takata and Misa have uh, dinner together? Oba literally created that scene just because he thought it would be funny. Like it wasn't like to move the plot along at all. It wasn't to like develop the characters. He just thought, oh, it'd just be funny if these two girls would like eat, eat together and like fight over light or whatever. It yeah, kind of just felt random to me, like the whole Takata Misa thing. Funny. Great, like you the know? whole Takata Misa thing, though. It just feels kind of like it's brought out of nowhere. Yeah, like honestly, yeah. Like, it doesn't lead to anywhere really. No, it doesn't. Like, Link mentions at one point that, like, and it yeah. could, like I said before, you know, you could have had Misa, you know, get so frustrated with Light that she turns on him, but they don't go in that direction. But like Light mentioned at one point that, like, yeah, Misa's working for uh, Takata's like TV network now. But they never even show them their like their show like their initial interaction. We just suddenly go to oh hey they must have met each other yeah oh hey they're now having dinner. We don't see how their bad blood formed like before. We just yeah. get jump right in after you know Takata mm-hmm. has you know become Light's go between. Yeah, so there's really no reason for this rivalry other than oh Misa's just very protective of Light. And she just wants him all to herself. Like it's, it's not. It again, it doesn't like move the story along at all. It's, it's like Opa said, it was literally there just for comedy. Mm. Oba doesn't know how to write female characters. No, no. You know, the worst yeah. part about Takata, more I think about it, is that he's like she's she's like the prototype for uh, the character who becomes who's like Takaki's rival that had a crush on him in Bakuman. I forget her name. But, like, she was, like, the worst character in Bakuman. And it's, like, you can look back at Takata and see, okay, this is, like, a prototype to that character. Yeah, the one positive... Design-wise, in terms of, like, her her personality, like, she's not as... Antag- she's not antagonistic to Light. But, like, in terms of, like, being, like, an honor student who, like, is very full of herself. Like, yeah, I see where a lot of similarities. So that... So that I was like, oh god, this is where that <laughs> character evolved from. But you know, uh, going back to Naomi Masura, I think my least favorite part in the entire manga is everything involving her because it goes nowhere and it adds nothing to the series. And she herself could have been a really cool character. There's a great setup for her character. She wants to avenge the death a former FBI agent who wants to avenge the death of her fiance killed by Kira. Going off on her own to investigate the case. Great concept. Could have been a great supporting character. Lasts way longer. She gets and killed Oba and throws like, it in the trash. She gets killed really quickly without contributing anything, giving uh, finding out any new information to the case that could help L or move the story along. And she gets and she gets killed because Light tricks her using really 
again, in Sugumi Oba's sexist, like, writing that, like, women can be tricked by, uh, like, using the words, like, fate and destiny and stuff, even Sorry. though her character should be way above being tricked by that, because she is an FBI agent, she's Someone who's worked with Elle before, too. Thinker. It doesn't make sense that she could be tricked like that, or just believe, like, this high school student, for some reason, is a member <laughs> of the team. Like, even if he has a connection to the chief of the NPA, she should have been a little more skeptical of that. But no, I think that Yumiyoba just real uh, felt that, oh, you know what? I don't know where I'm going with this character. I'll just kill her off. Whatever. But the worst part about that is that it just adds nothing. They never find her body. Elle never learns anything from the disappearance of Naomi Masura. It doesn't add anything to his investigation of the case. You can remove the entire part involving her, all those chapters from the series, and you miss nothing. Because it added nothing. And that... Really frustrated me because she could have been a good character. She could have added to the story, even if like did trick her and kill her in the end. She could have done more. She could have like contributed. Uh, there could have been more that you could have done her. But like, I guess Oba didn't want to write an interesting female character for once. <laughs> at the very least, um, at the very least, the female characters in Death Note have more personality than the female characters in Platinum End. That's the one thing you can give it. But that's actually a real... That does not speak well of Oba, because that means he's the falls He's getting over the worse years. at writing female He's characters. become worse after 15 years. Saki is literally the blandish piece of shit I've seen in a while in the manga. See, you know, you know, this is not the only reason why I can't say Sugumi Oba is one of my favorite manga, but this is... Mangaka, but, you know, this is... This writing of women is just one of the... One of the reasons where I can I can never say that I love this is one he is one of my favorite mangaka like Takashi Obata he's one of my favorite mangaka he's one of my favorite Obata mangaka. has done Sugumi nothing Oba. wrong God. Obata you know, is a blessing he makes great great stories about like mind games and you know battles of wits like I I enjoy I love I love that note I love Bakuman but gosh this just this aspect of his writing is just so bad so frustrating and I I hate it I just absolutely Hated. So, for all of you people who say that the worst part about Dead Note is the entire second half with Nier and Mello, no, the worst part is all this stuff involving Naomi Masora because it's absolutely unnecessary and it's absolutely <laughs> frustrating waste of potential. So actually, I mean, Nier is still a shitty character, though. Well, well, here can we actually let's let's go on to the second half of Death Note because that was something I was really interested in revisiting um, upon uh, my reread in particular was. You know that that was that was sort of a meme for a long time too, and it probably still is. But uh, the, the the notion that basically everything after L dies is like basically the worst part of Death Note. Which after after revisiting it, I don't think it's as bad as everyone says it is. But the, there, there's a the, there there is a part of me that feels like something there is lacking, and I have a really hard time trying to figure out what that is. Like I don't know. I don't know if it's like 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 uh, Velor was mentioning like a, a, like I feel like a lot of really a lot of Death Note and a lot of like the monologues and shit in general could probably be streamlined, but I think the the only reason that probably it is it was because um, Oba wanted to like it, the 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 end point for Death Note the fact that it ends at one hundred and eight chapters was intentional. Uh, that was something he was striving for from almost the beginning. Um, 
because it has something to do with Buddhism or something. I'm not very well versed yeah, in the kind of thing. Uh, I think sins of Buddhism or something. Something like that. Yeah, D- yeah desires. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah, I know yeah. that from Saint Seiya. <laughs> Saint that, Seiya? Yeah, it's, it's Sh- Virgo Shaka has the 108 beads of destiny or something. Like he uses it, he uses it in like one of the best fights in the series. So yeah, amazing. Okay, I just wanted to interrupt uh, the podcast here for just a second. Uh, to basically clear up some stuff here, because uh, when I made that claim about Oba wanting to end Death Note at 108 chapters from the beginning, um, I was basically misremembering some information uh, that I had researched uh, before we recorded this discussion. So I just want to correct myself here real quick. Um, so uh, Oba in Death Note Volume 13, How to Read is asked, uh, when did he decide to end the series at 108 chapters? And uh, Oba says, quote, when I decided how to end it, I also came up with the idea of ending it at chapter 108. I then kept that in mind when creating the thumbnails. So from around the time that Takeda reappeared, the plot and chapter numbers were already set. I had also already plotted out the yellow box warehouse scene, so it was really difficult to edit exactly at 108 chapters, uh, the number represents the 108th earthly desires in Buddhism. So uh, that last part there, we kind of got right in the discussion. But um, again, I just wanted to come in here and make and make sure that I corrected myself saying, oh, yeah, he planned this all from the beginning, which which, by the way, if you want to uh, if you want to find out more about Oba and Obata's like creative process. Uh, with creating Death Note week to week, um, I really suggest picking that up. Like it's it's really informative, and I really learned a lot about their process uh, uh, during Death Note uh, before this podcast. So yeah, essentially, yeah, I just wanted to come on and uh, correct myself. So um, essentially, yeah, if Ova had decided when he wanted to end the series around Takeda's reappearance. That would have meant that he would have decided that around chapter eighty five or so, which meant yeah he he had that particular aspect of the series planned out about twenty four chapters ahead of time um so that's that's not terribly too um that's not too terribly in advanced um but yeah, just really just wanted to come in here and correct myself on that. I personally don't like spreading misinformation, you know, if I can help it. So um, hopefully everybody learned something new today. Um, and hopefully I'll uh, be able to keep my facts straight in the future and keep myself a bit more organized. Uh, now back to the show. My, my, my big problem with the second half of Death Note is that it seemed like Oba was in this mentality that he has to continue with some sort of light VL conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have to bring in these pretty much disciples of L to fill in the void of L, which yeah. I was telling this to Sid yesterday when I started reading the second half that you really don't need another L. Yeah. There is no point to having another L. Like what the Yotsuba arc showed me was that this series can still be interesting without it being just solely Kira versus L. Give the death note to someone else and have them have to like take on light. Like what I re- the one thing I really liked about the second half was when Mello ha- got the Death Note and then it became like a Death Note v Death Note fight between Light and Mello. Mm-hmm. That was cool. But then they kind of throw that away after like Light's dad dies. 
Yeah, to me, it would have been more interesting to take the series in the direction that Light was competing with another Death Note owner who had completely opposite ideals of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been way more interesting than trying to just do L again. And that's, unfortunately, to me, the biggest weakness of the Nier stuff is that Nier is just L again, yeah. but he's not as compelling because he's just like some kid who plays with toys. And he just, aside from that, there's nothing that really distinguishes him or makes him more endearing than L. Because L, we got a lot of time and a lot of buildup before we actually ever saw his face. We learned, we kind of got a sense of why he was so reclusive because of his great character design and, you know, his, his habits that show that, yeah, he's like a socially, like, awkward kind of guy. He's not comfortable in public. Like, the reason he hides himself is not just to preserve, like, you know, his anonymity to protect himself, but also because, you know, he is just awkward around people in general. And, yeah. you know, he has, like, interesting quirks about him. He has a sense of humor, which Nier doesn't have. Nier is just, like, has this shit-eating grin that, <laughs> when he outsmarts Light. But Al will just make a joke. Al will just, you know, ha- you know, have some fun. Or, like, <laughs> he he's not always, like, you know, trying to be sneaky. I mean, he is often. But Al does have some moments of humanity to him. Like the moment where he's, like... Oh, you know, you shouldn't take my assessment of this case so seriously because I can be wrong. And then, like, later he's questioned about it and said, I was joking. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he, he makes jokes. Al has yeah. way more character. But, like, near, we just don't get much out of him. And the worst part, and to me the most disappointing part is that they build up Nier and Mello as L successors, but never, never do we go into what that means. Never do we learn what the exact relationship between L and Nier and Mello was. We get no flashbacks. We don't know what me- L means to Nier and Mello. We don't know, you know, why they're so devoted to him, why they idolize him. Like, we know L was this, like, great detective and stuff, but why do Nier and Mello, like, really love him that much like why are they trying to follow in his footsteps like we don't get that it's just there's this easy easy way to give them a personal motivation by just going into why they idolize l but we never get uh, the story there we never really understand the significance of whammy's house and the and training successes for l we don't really even get the sense of like why what that means whether L is like this detective that has always existed for a long time and the title gets passed down. We can interpret that from the fact that by the end of the series, like the title of L has been given to Nier after, you know, also being passed on to Light, but that was not something that L had control of. But, you know, that there's just so much, it's, it's to me, you, Nier is just not interesting because we just don't, get a sense of what his personal conviction is outside of just being a copy of what like l wanted yeah he's really just l without l's personality honestly yeah Yeah. like the only problem i have with Nier is that even like him jumping to the conclusion that l is kira just feels so fly yeah he makes as a baseless assumptions really like l takes a long time to figure things out because he's like doing constant prodding and like l will make like you know, uh, will operate under an assumption to f- try and find out more, but Nightmare will just make an assumption and, like, accept that as fact. Yeah, and some assumptions are just like, okay, L thought that was true, therefore it must be true. It's like... 
Yeah, like near once near decides that L is Kira, that's it. He he accepts that as fact, and everything else in terms of investigation on his side just goes along on that model. But L, right up until the end, never one hundred percent operates under the assumption that Light is Kira. Like he strongly. Uh, he strongly suspects it. Like, he, up until the end, suspects it really strongly, but never is he 100% close off to the ideas that other people could be Kira. And, like, he is willing to question himself and admit that he is wrong at certain points as well. Nier, never. Nier (laughs) is just focused on this one idea, and that's it. That's, That's all he operates on. It just feels really convenient. I mean, obviously, we as the reader, we as the audience know that Glight is Kira, right? We know that. So, of course, we want to see, like, Nier figure that out, right? But, like, it's not satisfying when Nier comes to that assumption, and it's not, like, satisfying to see Nier just accept that as fact, and then just go onwards, like, into, like, trying to prove that without, like, any other complications, like, he's thinking about, or or anything else, like, you know, popping up. Like, no other conflicts, like, pop up afterwards that complicate the case. It's just that game of wits between near and light. When, like, toward, of course, towards the end of the battle between light and L, you know, they had to contend with the Yotsuba group and other, you know, factors involved. So there was just more going on. Yeah, so near is a disappointing, like, final boss. as the one to bring light to justice. I, I think... To- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you can go on. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think the thing that kind of gets me about the second half of Death Note is that it's a lot of, it's it's really just, a to me, it's a lot of monologuing on both sides, on both Light and uh, and uh, Nier's side. And it's like, what, what kills me is that I wouldn't mind it so much if it weren't for the fact that most of the time, one side will make a move, and then the other side will basically figure out what next move they're going to make, but I don't give a shit about that because I already know what's going on on both sides. So basically, like, like, Nier will go, will, will have all these, like, internal monologues about what, uh, what Kira or Light or L or whoever will, what, uh, what their next move is going to be or how they're going to proceed. But, at, like, during my reread, I ended up kind of skimming through a lot of that because it's like, okay, like, I saw all this. Like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care about trying to read it. I don't, I don't want to read like five uh, paragraphs or pages or whatever about all the stuff that you think he's going to do when I already saw that Light did it. Yeah. A lot of that stuff's also like very repetitive. Like it is. Yeah. Near or Light would just like say the same things over and over again. Yeah. Like people, I know people complain of like Togashi in Hunter Hunter doing a lot with like over explaining stuff, but I feel Oba kind of does it worse in here because mm-hmm. like, He's repeating the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Togashi will say it once, and then he expects you to remember it. He does. He's not going to handhold you and repeat it like fifty times. Right. Togashi like will go on long spiels of exposition, but once that's out and done with, that's done with. You're not going to get that repeated to you. But with the uh, near and mellow stuff, like well, mostly with near and lights monologues, like you're going to get the same information again and again, just rephrased in different ways. And going back to light versus L, the original L, like. You know, that there was never any of that, really. Like, 
you would get one focus on one perspective, and then you would be surprised by the other person's move. Like, yeah. you never really know what L is thinking in the first couple volumes of Death Note, because it's framed from Light's perspective trying to figure out what L is doing. And then during the confrontations between Light and L, the early ones, like, you're surprised when L throws a curveball and, like, gets Light to, like, mess up. It never feels like L or Light is thinking the same idea twice. Same thing later in the Yotsuburg crew arc. You never, you don't know what Light is really planning. So you go through the entire arc trying to figure out what Light's game is. And then at the end, you get the big reveal. And that's surprising. That's satisfying. Yeah. But again, you just don't get that tease. You don't get that mystery in the near stuff. Yeah. Like... I was going to say, especially with a lot of, um, with a lot of, like, just kind of going back to the Yotsuba stuff, like, near the end of that arc, right, when everything starts to kind of fall into place with Light, um, even I was kind of shocked at how, like, you know, Light factors in Rem and her feelings towards, uh, like, because there, there's this whole thing where, like, you know, if, if a Shinigami uh, writes a name down in the Death Note uh, before their time, or like basically out of like some kind of feelings for them, like they end up dying. If they if they try to extend their lifespan, exactly, yeah. And um, like it's it's really it's really surprising to see how light factors in all of that, and really like puts Rem in this difficult position where like no matter what she does, she's gonna die. So like a lot of that was really satisfying, and I agree that you know overall the battle between Light and L, I think is. Aside from, like, the very last volume of Death Note, where Light ends up eating shit, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, that entire fight between L and Light is always interesting to read and is always, uh, like, you, you want to see where that goes. Really, the only thing that kept me from, the, the, the only thing that kept me reading through the second half was basically that promise of light eating shit in the end. Like that's that that's that's really the kind of the driving force with reading the rest of the series is you you like I, I don't know for some people it might be different, but for me it was I want to see light lose. I don't know yeah. for me like I legitimately love the stuff with Mello because I found yeah. Mello like far more compelling than Nier, who's just a piece of shit. Yeah, I think like, the first like two volumes of the arc are really good because it focuses on Mello and Mello goes through these insane lengths to get the Death Note that really like pushes personal stakes onto Light and of course Soichiro and then again it becomes very interesting because now we have two competing like sides that have Death Notes and Mello's side is using it for their own personal gain too and like for me, I think Mello would have been just the more interesting character for like to go up against. Yeah, like I feel like thing. I feel like uh Mello should have just been the primary villain of the second half. Like just get rid of Nier. We don't need a a complete L copy. Well, he, he, actually I I I kind of feel a bit differently on that where I do agree that I think Mello should have been the primary villain. I think the what 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 gets me about the second half is that there's a clear rivalry between Mello and Nier, which I think could be interesting, but but it's not focused on. Yeah, it gets wasted. I mean, it's not focused Mello. on, but it does. It does. I, in a way, it does. Kind of. I don't know what what gets me about it is that like it doesn't get the spotlight it deserves, which I think is a yeah. shame. But like, I guess it it does. Kind of. It in a way, it sort of leads to Light's downfall at the end. Like, I really feel like. I mean, I, I agree that Nier isn't really that great of a character, but I do feel strongly in that 
I think you kind of do need both characters to function with the rest of the story, but I also, I also, yeah, I, I, also I also, yeah. I also do agree that Nier probably shouldn't have been the primary focus, though. Like, for me, like, I, I kind of get that in the context of how it ends up ending, because by the end, like, Nier's like, yes, both of us are technically inferior L's, but together, me and Mello are superior to L. Because they are the, like the absolutes of the different aspects of L. Yeah, like, but like, that's good. It, they yeah. could do what L couldn't. Like one other problem I also have is that Mello kind of feels like he's shafted in the final few volumes. He, he, he is. really like, is. He <laughs> goes a long time before showing up again. I feel like you know because Oba and Obata were like so dead set on ending it at 188 chapters, like they dragged out certain elements that they later realized that they wouldn't be able to resolve. And then they had all these other plot threads that they, you know, needed, realized they had to, like, you know, finish. So there is kind of a part of, like, the final two volumes which feels very rushed, like Oba and Arata yeah. are remembering all these things that they had set up before and they just try to streamline it and condense it in order to get to the end. Yeah, and then Elka, when Melo comes back, his... Death is just kind of disappointing. It is disappointing. It's not very big. He, like, Takata yeah. just, like, kills it with pages of the Death Note, and that's that's it. Like, he was the best part of that arc, and it just feels like he dies so easily. Like, he, he was acting so smart before. Like, he wasn't, like, letting anyone get close to him or, like, pretty much get anywhere near a Death Note that could kill him. But now he's just being careless, and he can, like, let people see his face through, like, the helmet that he's wearing. And then he dies. I think they found out his name too easily. I mean, I think they could have still had Suichiro take the eyes and learn Melo's name, but I think that they could have, like, had him die before he could tell Light yeah. Mel's. My other problem, though, is that, like, Melo knows that they have his name. Yeah. Why isn't he wearing, like, a helmet that actually covers his face fully? Because yeah. that's how, like, Takata was able or, to, like, write it down, because, like, she could see his face through the, like, visor. Yeah, or go as a voice modulator. Yeah, so it's like, okay, we, we've seen that Mello is, he's, like, reckless at times, but he's still intelligent. Why is he being so careless here? And the only justification is that Oba needed to kill him off in order for the ending to work. Which is, oh, yeah. But, but, but guys, do you want to know who the worst character in all of Death Note is? Like, for real? Who? Matt. He doesn't do anything. Exactly. Wait, who? but 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 guys, he's he's the he's the third smartest L candidate at Whammy's house. That means something, right? He is. Yeah, th yeah, they mentioned that. Okay. <laughs> Wait, who is this character? I don't, See, even, I don't remember even remember. That. Exactly. That. That's my point. He, <laughs> but, he's he he was he was the guy who was um who was helping Mello uh tail a lot of the uh, yeah I know that. Wait, they I know that. Oh. It's just that he just shows up yeah. in the story. Do they like, ever mention that he's like the third? I don't remember that. They, they do. They do. They do mention. Where? They do. <laughs> I don't remember that. But whatever. It doesn't matter. Like I don't care about that <laughs> character because he's just like a sidekick to Mello. He doesn't have any like development or anything, so he can't frustrate me. Like I, it it's frustrates me because like his his but his it frustrates design. Me okay. because because, like, what frustrates <laughs> me is a character like Naomi Misura, who gets, like, a lot of focus on, but then is wasted. Like, Mac never gets that much focus. Mac just, like, 
helps mellow out. I just assume Matt was down. like a random like mafia crony. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, he's a wasted character, but like I don't have any. My favorite like, parts of manga Mavericks. My favorite parts of any manga Mavericks episode are where I try to make a point, and I know Sid is not going to stop. So I'm just like, okay, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to let him tire himself out. <laughs> well, what's your point about Matt? Oh no, I, I wasn't. I was. I was just. I was. I was really just being a dick, but. But, but see here, my thing is like it just it kind of surprises me that like uh, Obata uh, Obata and Oba introduces character who his design is way too like specific and well done for him to just be like this throwaway character like it's it's kind of a shame because his design yeah. his design while it's not amazing like it doesn't look like a background character design it doesn't look yeah, like it looks yeah, like it's, it's pretty it looks like Matt's gonna be like some like special guy Olympic. Yeah. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, but like he's just he's just a guy who plays video games and he helps Mello. And wants to watch Misa <laughs> do her random shit. Yeah, like his character felt like a total waste. Like I don't know why he was really around other than to help Mello, but whatever. He's actually the worst character in Death Note cuz yeah, he just wasn't I don't know. He Again, yeah. Does, doesn't he die by just getting like shot by cops? Yeah, yeah he's like, no, he doesn't get shot by cops. He gets shot by Kira fanatics. Okay, yeah, that's how unmemorable it was because I read that like two hours ago. <laughs> yeah, cause he's basically he's literally like, okay, guys, we're gonna do this thing. No, he, he then he just gets shot. Like he's such a waste of a character, and it's it's frustrating. Um, well, there are a lot of wasted characters. Like I think everyone on like Nier's team could have been done so much more with too but they're just you know there for near to use i mean especially with hal lindner and her connection with mellow that could have gone in yeah. way more interesting directions but it's just ultimately a means it's for mellow like, to get information from near it's just like oh she was the rat in, in the whatever the fuck you know, the, no yes. i don't think she was the rat wasn't she? No, she wasn't the rat. Like, later, ne- Mello contacted her for the same reasons Nier speculated. And, oh, you know, okay. and that's how... I like, thought it was very heavily implied that, like, they had some sort of relationship of some kind. I thought it was, anyway. I don't think so. I think, it was I think just that Hal like, might have developed some feelings for Mello, but I don't think... They didn't, do- they didn't go into it deeply enough to really figure out anything more deeply than I don't know what even, was presented. even if even if I were being held at at gunpoint I'd still like you know I would have be if if I weren't in a relationship with a person I wouldn't be okay with them just showing up in my shower while I'm naked I don't know it's just, I think that well, was just how what Mello really like, wants and how and like she knows that Mello isn't going to try anything yeah so I don't know she, it's just her way of like just acting coy and just trying to test Mel's patience to see what move he makes. Also, Oba just being really bad at writing female characters. Yeah, and trying to squeeze in a fan service scene. Which, honestly, the fan service in this really isn't bad at all. Yeah, there isn't that much That's because the series in general is mostly a sausage fest anyways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like we agree that, like, the second half of Death Note isn't, like, as bad as everyone says it is. Like, I feel like that's overblown, but I also feel like we're all in agreement that, like, there are problems with it. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's bad. I just think there's a lot of wasted opportunities, and I think that Nier is just not a compelling foil for Light in the same way L is, and Mallow could have been much more compelling if he, they had just done more with him. It just really wasn't the direction that the series should have gone in. Because yeah. because everybody likes to say that, like, oh, Death Note only continued because of, like, pressure from the editing staff or whatever, which, as far as I can tell, isn't true. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I think that 
I don't think that uh, maybe... I mean, did they say from the beginning, from the very first chapter, they had planned it out to be 100 chapters? I don't know from the very first chapter, but, like, that was... Like, that that was... I don't I don't think... I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look. I want to say it was from the beginning, but I don't... I guess I don't really remember for sure. Well, at some point, they got a cool idea to do that. So then they decide, oh, uh, we gotta... We're running out of things to do to complicate the light L situation. So let's kill L off and just introduce a new L. But instead yeah. of doing L again, they should have just gone in a different direction. Like I said, have a... Yeah, like I said, like a... You know, another character who gets a Death Note that has completely opposite ideals from Light, yeah. and Light has to try and, you know, take that person out, while you could still have, like, a successor to L on the sidelines also trying to figure out, like, the true Kira, but, you know, also have him operate in a different manner to L, like Mello was doing. Yeah. Mm, I mean, from from what I read in the How to Read volume, it didn't seem like... It didn't seem like the series was intended to end from the start with the end of Light versus Kira. Like, Obata had mentioned, um, or Oba, I should say. They're, by the way, their last names are so confusing. Yeah, I used to get them confused all the time. Like, I hate that so much, but whatever. Um, yeah, I think, I think I've gotten used to seeing Obata's, like, name more, though, since he does, like, do a lot more he, works he does, with other yeah. people. Yeah. So, like, I've gotten used to identifying, okay, Obata, he's the artist. Oba, he's the writer who is shitty at writing female characters. <laughs> yeah. from, from, from the interviews I had read in How to Read, like, it seemed like, it's at least it seemed like to me that, like, you know, they, they weren't, like, forced to continue the story from a point they didn't want to. It seemed like to me that, like, because they were talking about how they, like, one of their ideas for the ending of the series was to end after L died, but it just didn't seem like it. Uh, from 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 what I could tell, like like it it just seems like they had this idea, but maybe they got to it sooner than they wanted to, because Obata also mentions that like because him and um, Oba and Obata constantly talk about how um, how like how much Obata actually plans out his story. And from from what I could tell, like uh, Obata constantly gives Oba shit because you know Obata is like legitimately wondering, like, okay, how much have you had this plan? Like, how much did you have planned in the beginning? And Obata was like, oh, I had like three chapters planned. And Obata's kind of in like disbelief, like, there's no way you didn't have like all this plan from the beginning. And Obata's like, no, no, I, I mostly made it up as I went along, essentially. And it's like Obata's having this dialogue with himself. I'm sorry. <laughs> I you know I'm yeah whatever um <laughs> no but that that's the basically the point I'm trying to get to is that like Obata god damn it I keep doing it Oba, Oba, the 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 writer I'll just call him the writer um the writer clearly didn't have a lot of this plan from the beginning like he he was clearly making up a lot of this as he went along aside from like like, like, basically, he made sure that everything stayed consistent within, like, you know, as far as, like, the Death Note rules go and whatnot. But, yeah, he was really, he was really making it up a lot as he went along. Like, like, like it's clear he, it's clear that he didn't have the entire story planned out from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think you can definitely tell that from, like, how certain plot points, you know, go out and how some things... Don't lead to direction. Some things just, like, fall off. Or just fall off that. Like, again, Naomi Masora, uh, a bunch of stuff in the, you know, near metal stuff. Like, basically, 
um, Oba's thought process in the beginning was like, oh, well, he basically uh, spent a lot of his time just coming up with these really complicated, crazy situations for Light to think himself out of was essentially the kind of intent with a lot of the with a lot of the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. And basically from there to like connect all the dots and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, per, uh, basically, the point I'm trying to get at is I don't think I I want to say like the like I don't think this is like a you know like a Yu Yu Hakusho thing where it's like clearly oh they wanted Togashi to keep continuing with, with Yu Yu Hakusho but Togashi's like yeah no I'm putting a full stop to this like I don't think it's that kind of situation but as far as I could tell there's no real base. Uh, for people's arguments when it comes to like where Death Note should have ended or how long it should have continued or whatnot, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think Jump kind of learns their lesson after Yu Yu Hakusho that yeah, doing that is not a good idea. No, yeah, because Tagashi sabotaged his own manga to make yeah. it lose popularity so they would cancel it. <laughs> like he put in so little effort that like he he not only tested like the editorial department's like patience of what they could run, but he like tested the readers who like you know were getting frustrated by it too, and so they were like, okay, if you're not gonna do this, then then fine, we're, we're, you can end your series. And then we have that giant fuck you ending. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think it's to that extent, but. I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit involved. Like either editorial was involved, or it's just a, or it's just a matter of uh, Oba thought this could go on, like this part of the story could go on for longer, but he ended up wrapping it up too quickly. I think it's probably a combination of both, because I'm, I'm sure like the editors wanted him to continue it, mm-hmm. but o- Oba at the same time, Oba was probably excited that he had such a hit series, so he's like, huh. Maybe I can figure out another way to work this without L. Yeah, because they also mentioned in How to Read that um, the first volume of Death Note sold a million copies in two months. Yeah, which is insanely good. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I guess if, unless there's uh, anything else you guys want to bring up before we probably wrap up here sometime soon. Go ahead. Um, so- something I kind of wanted to talk about uh, from my personal experience rereading death note again um is that um uh so, so, so something i kind of uh i i kind of realized uh as i was reading through it um was that um and i'm not exactly sure i'm trying to figure out how exactly i want to word this um because it's kind of weird like uh while rereading through death note um because with a lot of uh different manga series or whatnot that i tend to um I tend to revisit. Uh, most of the time, I find that I feel like I gain some kind of new appreciation from revisiting certain series. Um, just to name a few off the top of my head, stuff like, uh, you know, Gintama, Sket Dance, Nero, Aishil 21. You know, a lot of my favorites are my favorites because uh, every time I revisit them, I feel like I gain some kind of new perspective or just something new in general. Uh, from revisiting certain material, whereas in the case of Death Note, I don't feel like I really got that kind of change of perspective. Like, you know, re- reading through Death Note, I guess technically my second or third time, uh, you know, uh, r- really no matter how many times I come back to Death Note, I usually kind of have the same experience almost. Uh, I mean, aside from, I guess, 
I guess not exactly the same experience because, you know, as with my first experience, uh, I, I was, I was really new to a lot of the story, obviously. Um, but I guess the same experience in the sense of like, you know, I'm, I'm getting what I got out of the series the first time I read it. Like, uh, with, with this second or third time reading Death Note or visiting it or whatever, um, I got a really fun, exciting, a battle of wits with a lot of twists and turns, and that's what I get every time I visit Death Note. Uh, and, you know, uh, just the fact that, like, you know, even though I know where a lot of the story is going, I still enjoy a lot of the, um, I still enjoy, like, it's, it's worth getting through certain sections of Death Note to get to uh, a lot of my favorite moments. Such as moments with uh, Sorichiro Yagami and his uh, his heroics, and and you know the last volume of the with the final clash between Near and Light, you know, uh, just a, just a lot of stuff. Like a lot of that stuff is some of my favorite material in Death Note, and uh, you know, so so you know, whenever I revisit Death Note, I always like re-experiencing those moments. But you know, Death Note for me personally is not the kind of series where. Every time I revisit the material, I gain some kind of new, um, I I gain some kind of new insight from it. Like it, it, like Death Note does not really change for me every time I revisit it. Like it's Death Note in one way or another is still for the most part the same experience, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, um, but I just thought was kind of interesting um, how this this most recent uh, I guess revisit with Death Note. Um, you know, I, I found certain sections kind of dragging because, like we mentioned a couple of times in the show here today, that, uh, you know, uh, like a lot of the monologues get really repetitive and it is hard to get through some of those. Um, it is hard to get through some of those uh, when you know what's coming and you know how the th- uh, how everything is going to resolve. So in that aspect... Man, uh, like, like at some point, I really felt like I think I even tweeted about it. I was like, "Light, shut up!" Like, will you just stop talking for five pages? <laughs> like, it's just, it's so much text to read. At first, I thought I was just like a really slow reader or something, but I'm like, no, it's just Oba's writing too much. Like, um, it, it would take me like two hours to read through a volume. Like, it's, yeah, same. It's- <laughs> it took like an hour though, because he's not human. I don't know. I just have a faster reading speed. I read each volume in about 45 minutes to an hour. So, how, to me, it? that is... To me, that does say something. Because for me, my normal reading rate for a volume of manga is half an hour. So it definitely yeah. does take me 1.5 times to 2 times longer to read a single volume than most other manga. Yeah, so that checks out because I my average volume takes about 45 minutes to an hour. I sort of get lost in the text because I... For me, it's like I have this mentality of being like, okay, I want to remember these sentences as much as possible for as long as possible, mm-hmm. which is like a terrible idea in Death Note because like so much of it's repetitive. And I mean, like Obata talks about and how to read like, you know, his process with trying to make everything visually interesting because of how much text there is. And I appreciate for him for trying because most of the time he succeeds. But yeah. then, but but then, like when you get to like the second half of Death Note with all of like near and light monologues, like on, like Obata's art and his layouts can only really do so much to like. Yeah, because there's yeah. so much text covering 
the page that, like, a lot of the art, even if he's, like, doing amazing art in the background, it's just, like, hard to focus on it, because it's already covered. Yeah. So, like, uh, Obata tries, he definitely tries, but sometimes it's it's hard to compete with how much text is on the page. Yeah. But you do get, like, your time investments worth from, you know, reading a volume of that note. Like, you feel like you get what's worth, like, the price you have to pay for reading it. Like, what, $15 for the omnibus? Yeah, the yeah. black edition. You got, you get, like, good content out of it compared to most other yeah. manga because of how dense the story is. On a side note, I find it weird that the black edition of Death Note it has all the color pages, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have them in order. Yeah, that bothered me. I don't know why I didn't just put it in order. I mean, and they only have like the color spreads. Yeah. They don't have like the color pages, but like just the regular pages of the manga were in color. Like Colton, I'm not sure if you've like looked at the black editions before. I have not. But like, okay, so like they have the color, they have the color pages in the volumes, but they're after the volumes that they're released in. Yeah. And they're not in order either. That's really weird. <laughs> yeah, so like the color pages that would have been in like the first volume, they're in the second volume. It's, it's, I don't yeah. understand the top process. It's weird. The only actual color page of like the manga that isn't a color spread is like the first one for the first chapter. But for the subsequent like volumes, they didn't do the color pages. Yeah, which is strange. Because they're clearly putting the effort to put the color in the book. <laughs> so... Huh, well, I, well, that's, that's really weird, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's another thing, too. I noticed that Death Note gets a lot of color pages, so I, I can't help but assume that, like, either... They were popular. Yeah, I was going to say, either Shueisha was really pushing for it, or, like, or like you know, it was really popular. Because I remember hearing at one point, I don't remember how true this is, but I remember hearing at one point that, like, you know, Death Note in the beginning was one of those things where it's like, it didn't rank very well. In, in Shonen Jump amongst the other series at the time, but it was basically it continued because it was selling like really well as far as volume sales goes. Yeah, I was yeah. looking at the TOCs before the before we started recording and the first rankings uh, are kind of been in the middle, but it doesn't seem like it was doing terribly. Like it's not doing like a jump like Robot Laser Beam's doing where it's like going from the absolute bottom to the absolute top. Hmm. Yeah. So it seems like it was just doing kind of middle of the road and then it picked up traction. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me that this series had more success in Tankobon sales because maybe more people heard about it and would rather like buy the volumes than like pick up jump. Because this series does have like appeal outside of the normal jump audience. Yeah. Like there are people who don't otherwise like jump manga but might like death note that might discover it and be interested in it and pick up the volumes and just continue reading it that way so i think that i think that also contributes to why death note is so popular like in the states as well and is one of like the best selling manga in the states is that like even if you're not interested in other manga like you might go out of your way just to get death note because death note interests you it's kind of like an outlier within like yeah and there are other, like, cases like that, like One Punch Man, yeah. and, uh, Tokyo Ghoul, Attack on Titan, I think. Tokyo Ghoul is the interesting one, I say. Yeah. But, uh, I guess, was there anything else we want to talk about, or I think that might be about it? You can go on and on about Dead Note. I mean, I think there are other characters or other things we could talk about, but I think we kind of touched all the key points of what 
you know, is interesting about Death Note, what makes it unique and special, some of its flaws and things we were a little frustrated with. And then I think, you know, I guess overall, we can still say that we enjoyed Death Note a lot. Uh, I think it still holds up pretty well. You, as a first-time reader, Wee Lord, you seem to enjoy it a lot. You were engrossed in reading it. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's been a series that I've been wanting to read for a long time. And I've been considering watching the anime, but... I kept hearing about how many like changes it makes from the manga, and I was like, okay. When I first experienced Death Note, I want to experience the manga. So I'm glad I finally got around to doing it. The anime is worth watching. It's more over the top, and again, it, it frames Light's actions in a different way that I'm not entirely comfortable with, but overall yeah. it's entertaining. I mean, I'll definitely check out the anime at some point, because I do like Tetsuro Raki as a director. But yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, as long as we're talking about the anime real quick, um, I think I... Because uh, I've I've seen both, obviously, and um, like now that I've seen both, like I, reading through the manga, I think I do enjoy the manga more because like as entertaining as the anime is in like an over the top sense, I, I kind of prefer the tone of the manga more because like the manga kind of takes itself seriously. But like there are still moments of levity that I feel like um, or like levity or comic relief, whatever you want to call it. Um that I feel like help balance out the tone in the manga a lot better personally. Whereas I feel like, I feel like the anime either takes itself too seriously or takes itself too seriously to the point where again, it is over the top. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Cause I, I enjoy that too. Like, you know, I, I, I love stuff like the potato chip scene and, all according to Keikaku and whatnot. I'm gonna I, take this <laughs> potato chip and eat it! I don't know if the anime... I, I guess the anime takes itself seriously in the sense that, like, it frames a lot of things with, like, this much heavier, like, Christian symbolism and illusions. Mm -hmm. Like, they have a theme where L is washing Light's feet, which is... <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, and, and like the in twenty in episode twenty five when you know that's the episode where L dies. Uh, bef they add in a scene where you know li before you know uh, Light gets L Rem to kill uh, L by writing his name in the notebook. Like there's this short break where like they're on this rooftop and it's raining, and then afterwards like they go back inside and they're soaked, and so L offers to wipe Light's Light's feet. So. Another thing in the anime is that they really uh, play up kind of the kind of a romantic sexual tension between Light and L, which you That's know really weird. Uh, yeah. The fan base runs with, but the feed washing scene is like a allusion to something related to Jesus in the Bible or whatever. I I don't remember what it exactly is. Yeah, and again, I I enjoy the anime for what it is, but as far as tone is considered i really enjoy the more grounded feel of the manga personally yeah i mean yeah the manga is way more grounded the anime plays things up way more over the top and takes its, and it does take itself a little too self-seriously just in the use of its like orchestral music and uh like yeah and it's heavy Christ uh, allusions to christianity framing life is like this jesus like figure which is, uh, yeah, not what, uh, I, again, I'm not very comfortable with that. But Light did nothing wrong. Yeah, along with, uh, Dio and Griffith and, uh, um, I had a third one, now I can't remember. Um, you know, all, all, all those beloved characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I, I think, I think overall, like, I, 
I enjoyed Death Note. I enjoyed revisiting it, um, especially you know with, with with the live action movie coming up. Like basically, I wanted to revisit it because you know I wanted to have the series fresh in my mind when you know w- when the movie actually comes out. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not gonna go in like comparing every single little thing or expecting it to be exactly like the manga because it's not gonna they be exactly didn't like the manga. Adapt this exact panel, this exact way, at this exact angle. He didn't. Yeah, he he so. didn't. He didn't say Keikaku. This is the worst adaptation I've ever <laughs> Zero seen. Out of ten, no Keikaku. <laughs> to address a question asked by us from Daikun over on Animation Revelation, what are our thoughts on the upcoming Netflix movie? Uh, my thought is, like, it's clearly going to be an interpretation of the concept of that, no, not a straightforward adaptation, and I think that's perfectly fine, because there's a lot of things you can do with the concept of Death Note, and what they're going for with the film version of Light is a very different character, a character that has, like, more of a moral struggle in terms of, like, being, like, given the conviction to kill people and then become Kira. Like, it seems like he's going to have more of a conflict that will last a lot longer. And they're changing many other things around about, like, the characterizations of other characters and what their motivations are. So it's best not to think about it as an adaptation of Death Note in the sense that it is a one-to-one translation of characters from page to screen, but more of an interpretation of the idea of Death Note. Hopefully it does that better than the Ghost on the Shell film. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, that's a pretty low bar. You you have to hope that like, it, Death Note Like, honestly, it's anymore. pretty hard to fuck up Death Note. Uh, compared, compared to Ghost on the Shell. Compared to Ghost on the Shell. Unless you make Light um, sympathetic. No, I think that's what they're trying to do with the Netflix film. Again, they're not trying to do the same character as like Yagami in the manga. They're making a different character. He's not the same light. So I think they are going to make him more sympathetic, but it's going to be more tragic because like his fall from grace will be like even more like kind of like Walter White in a sense. Like, yeah. Okay. It will be even more extreme because like he'll start off as more of a good person and he'll have like more conflict in doing these horrible things. But then he will become what Light became, what Walter White became, and just, you know, become immersed in obsessed. his evil and obsessed yeah. with killing. Yeah. And that's fine in my opinion because like the problem yes. with like the Ghost of the Shell film is that it tries... To do both things. It tries to create its own new message while also trying to copy what's already been done. Yeah. This Death Note film seems to be doing its own thing. Yeah. And that's what you should be doing with a live action adaption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, when you put it like that, I'd, I'd be I'd be open to that, honestly. Yeah. So I have a lot of optimism for the Netflix film. And, you know, it'll be out by the time you're listening to this. So we'll have known uh, whether it's good or not. But... I guess you're going to have to hear our thoughts about the film proper when we do our at movies episode on it. Which will come out in seven months. <laughs> I might <laughs> just edit that one immediately to get it out on time. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I think we're done here, though. Yeah. This was a good discussion. A good t- two hours worth. Uh, there's a lot to talk about with that note. It's a very dense series with a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah. And... I'm glad to have done it. It was great to reread the series after seven years or something. I yeah, this was this was my first time rereading it in um, I want to say eight or nine years, something like that. 
Vlord, thanks so much for coming on and joining us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, where can the people find you? Uh, yes, uh, people can find me on Twitter at VLordGTZ. That is V-L-O-R-D-G-T-Z. Um, and yeah, just hit me up if you want to talk about JoJo or Conan or really anything. I just kind of lurk on there. I'm also on my anime list under the same name and, like, yeah, a bunch of other places. Usually, if, like, you find a place that has a guy named VLordGTZ, it's probably me because no one else uses that name. <laughs> and, uh, Sid, what about you? You can find me at, at LumRamiyasha on Twitter and as LumRamiyasha on Animation Revelation, my anime list. Basically, wherever there's a guy called LumRamiyasha, you can assume it's me. So there you go. Alright, yeah, definitely follow both of these guys. But uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at SniperKing323. You can also uh, listen to a few other podcasts I record, such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast. You can find that at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. Or if you want to hear me talk about Detective Conan slash Case Closed, uh, you can hear me talk about that series in particular on One Podcast Prevails. That's at onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. Um, but if you want to follow all comic and manga mavericks, so, so here, here's, here's, here's what you do. You want to go to all-comic.com. That's where we put every episode of the podcast first. You can also follow All Comic via Facebook at facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow manga mavericks, um, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks. You can also follow us on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com. Basically follow us over there for all the latest updates on the podcast, especially Twitter. You should also subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, I know we probably still need a a couple more uh, subscriptions in order to get to 100 subscribers in order to get a custom URL. Um, definitely follow us on there for, uh, snippets of our podcast, uh, like, like you'll, th- this'll probably end up on YouTube at some point here in the future, uh, and for even some original content, uh, I know Sid has, uh, some stuff coming up here, I assume. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, definitely go subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, and if you want to email us anything, uh, what do you think about Death Note? Uh, what do you, uh, what, what are some other series you're reading? Uh, what do you think about all the news we, uh, we covered on today's episode? Any, any thoughts on anything we covered on this episode? Please send us an email over at mangamavericks at gmail.com and we'll read it on the show. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, the artist formerly known as iTunes. And um, I think that's going to be about it for this episode. Um, this was a good one. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for listening to episode 38 of Manga Mavericks on AllComic.com. And we will see you guys next time for episode 39. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Later. Later.